the blast from our past network. Hello and welcome to the Blast From Our Past podcast. We're the podcast that gives you full-on movie breakdowns, TV show reviews, and a whole lot more, all from the things of our nostalgic past. I'm Adam. I'm John. And I'm Corey. Hey, Corey, good to have you back on the podcast. It has been a hot minute, my man, <laughs> since you've been on BFOP. It really has. <laughs> <laughs> well, we used to do a whole bunch of those sequels. We had a good bit of them. And then John and I have actually been able to stay consistent. So we haven't really needed to put any of the sequels on. But kind of funny enough, today we're doing a sequel, but not really a sequel of a movie that John and I have already discussed. We're just jumping straight to the sequel. <laughs> <laughs> we're just jumping straight to the good stuff. <laughs> yeah, kind of funny. So today we are talking aliens. Uh, for all the people who might bitch Wait a minute, you guys always do one movie, one TV show in a casting. We know, if anybody remembers our RoboCop review and even our uh, Monster Squad review with Corey, when we have Corey on, oh my god, the the time on this podcast goes, <laughs> it's like exponentially higher. So we're like... <laughs> I know, and and I told when we were talking about this, uh, I, I you know when we I kind of pitched this to you guys, um, I was like, look, I really think you need to cut out the uh, the TV show because I can just talk and talk and talk about aliens all day long, and the movie's already yeah. like two hours and twenty minutes or or forty depends on which version you watch, and mm-hmm. uh, oh boy, <laughs> yes, it's a it's much longer. I mean, we're used to doing ninety ish minute. Uh, movies because you know most of these are you know you know kid style movies a lot of them not not all of them mm. um, so having a two hour twenty minute movie it's just like we're gonna have tons of scenes to break down Corey adding all of the things that Corey adds because one he's just he likes to talk he likes to hear himself talk because that's <laughs> Corey uh, but on top of that he's knowledgeable on aliens he's a big fan of the series yeah and just just so you guys know where I'm coming from uh you know at, John and Adam know Star Wars is life to me. Like I love everything about Star Wars, and it makes up who I am. But I consider the movie Aliens to be my single favorite movie of all time. That would be my one desert island movie that I could pretty much watch for the rest of my life. Fair enough. All right, so we are talking Aliens, and we are going to do a casting of Aliens. Really excited about that. None of us want this movie casted again. None of us want this movie to be remade. But that's what we do here, and it's kind of fun. I still enjoyed doing the casting. I did too. Yeah, and I was telling my wife, I was like, man, this is hard because now at this point, every role is, like, iconic and, like, completely attached to the actor. So I'm like, oh, man. But it was fun to do the casting, and I am super excited to get into that after we do the movie. All right, so Aliens was made in 1986. John, please hypersleep us back. I know that's not how hypersleep works. It's more of like a future thing than a back. But whatever. Take us back to 1986. All right. So the movie was released on July 18th of 1986. The Billboard Top 100 single of that week is a great one. It's uh, Invisible Touch by Genesis. Oh, my God. I love Genesis. Uh, and Invisible Touch, not a lot of people remember. I don't feel enough people remember Genesis. Mm-hmm. Overall, they might remember, like, Land of Confusion, um, maybe, maybe a handful of others. But Invisible Touch is a strong, strong song. 
Yeah. yeah. La- uh, Land of Confusion is definitely on my 80s playlist. Mm-hmm. It's got one of the weirdest video music videos from the entire yeah. 80s as well. Yeah. yeah, and there was actually a TV show based on those puppets in the 80s, and I can't remember what came out first, Land of Confusion or that TV show, but it was kind of like a, you know, like a satire show. Right. It was really weird. I mean, Ronald Reagan in a Superman outfit. Yeah. <laughs> what more do you need? Yeah. <laughs> and this was around the time that sort of Genesis and... Uh, Phil Collins on his own and Peter Gabriel were all kind of fighting for like the top spots all at the same time, mm-hmm. which was really, really wild. If you've ever listened to the podcast Hit Parade, uh, which I think is put out by Billboard, um, they did a whole episode recently on on Genesis and Peter Gabriel and Phil Collins, and it's really, really good. Uh, no surprise, topping the Nielsen ratings is the Cosby, Sh- Cosby Show. Okay. Uh, the Topping the New York Times bestseller was a book called Wonderlust by Danielle Steele. I have heard of that book. Maybe because we already did talked about it before. I don't remember. It's but possible. Yeah. I feel I feel like I had heard that one before. And I definitely remember us talking about Danielle Steele before because I think she's like yeah. a romance novelist. I don't know if she's romance, but she's she's definitely popular. I've seen her books yeah. everywhere. I have no idea. I, I'm, right. I, I don't read. I don't know how to read. <laughs> I forgot a long time ago. Kids who were arcade gamers were running to the arcades to play a new game that came out that month called Arkanoid. Oh, man. I played Arkanoid so much like on... Um, just the, we had it on like the PC. It was like one of the free games on there or something. Right. And I played it insane. I was I was actually pretty damn good at it. I kept that <laughs> ball fucking in the air, you know, <laughs> breaking those bricks pretty often. Yeah. So it was actually it was actually a re sort of a reskin of a, of a, an Atari game called Breakout. Mm-hmm. But uh, Taito took it and basically added all the little bonuses and level ups that you can get because before it was just the ball and the bricks and that was it. But Taito added some aspects to it and and I, I prefer playing the Arkanoid one to just the standard breakout you can get like longer paddles shorter paddles lasers shit like that make the ball move faster slower yeah which you get i found out because i played so goddamn much (laughs) i found out and i was good enough to 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 do it i would not collect the you know everyone wants to get a larger paddle and it to move slower could be easier you don't get as high a points when you do when you take those advantages so i would always get the speed ups and the make my paddle smaller and you would get a higher score to try and beat as long as you kept it up in case anyone was curious. If anyone wants to talk, the Arkanoid <laughs> podcast, uh, start it with me. <laughs> I'm a nerd, I know. Uh, fuck it. <laughs> Dude, I would listen to the Arkanoid podcast. <laughs> and the ball bounced, um, and then it, uh, it bounced again. Especially if you do, like, live commentary. <laughs> you just play, and it has to be a, an audio podcast. It can't, yeah. it can't, be, an, uh, it can't be a YouTube. Yeah. Uh, in sports that week, Mike Tyson defeated Marcus Frazier by knocking him unconscious 30 seconds into the fight. Oh, I've seen this fight, dude. I mean, I saw clips on it on YouTube. God, in, Tyson was ridiculous. Yeah, you know when he would—he just came in ferocious. Yeah, and he basically charged him and then uppercut him thirty seconds in and just knocked him out. And did that start like the whole trend of like Mike Tyson just basically knocking people out immediately? I mean, yeah, he like kept doing it like in, in like first rounds of people. Yeah, like I don't, I don't yeah. know, I don't know if it was a trend for him. I, I just feel like that became his mo, you know, and like everyone. Yeah, was, like, that's what he did. Yeah. Uh, and finally, here's a little weird fun fact. A man named Jim Moylan uh, invented the gas tank indicator on your car. Oh, <laughs> nice. That was on- only indicate. Oh, the- when it's like, oh, it's it's a low? No, no, no. It's the little arrow that tells you what side of your car is <laughs> your gas tank. That? Yes. It took-, it took till 1986 for that to get invented? Here's the thing. He invented it in 1986. It wasn't implemented until 1989. Jesus. 
<laughs> no one's going to, I mean, but it's so helpful. I, I mean, it, hell, it I, I've, I've driven my own car for 11 years. And when I go down, go to the gas, <laughs> I still fucking look sometimes <laughs> to be like, oh yeah, that's right. It's on my side. <laughs> well, especially, it's really, really helpful. Like if you're in a, a rental or something like that, where you, you haven't checked ahead of time. Or you're just but dumb like me. Here's the, the funny thing is, is he did not patent this idea and so at first it was only going to be released on Fords and then when they realized oh there's no patent then everyone did it. That guy fucked himself over. Which seems as re- seems putting an arrow on a car seems a little ridiculous to be able to patent. Agreed. Agreed. You can patent so much shit these days though. That's true. Alright that was 1986. That was a good year. That was yeah a hell of a year. Alright guys it's time for Aliens. Let's rock! All right, Aliens from 1986, directed by James Cameron. We've all seen his stuff. Terminator, T2, Avatar, Titanic. Uh, This movie was also written in part by James Cameron. Music by James Horner, who we have talked about multiple times on the podcast. He's done Titanic, Avatar, Troy, Perfect Storm, Balto, Apollo 13, Braveheart. James Horner did some absolutely amazing work. Uh, Cinematography by Adrian Biddle. He has done V for Vendetta, Willow, The Princess Bride, The Mummy, uh, tons of fantastic things that he shot. And then edited by Ray Lovejoy, who is a great editor. He did 2001 A Space Odyssey, The Shining, and all, as well as Batman, uh, the 1989 Keaton one. I want to interject. Uh, Biddle was not the original cinematographer. Oh, well, 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 that's what he was credited as. So that's, that's yeah. That well, he, no, he was, he was at, in the end, the, the, or the DP, was he the DP or the cinematographer? Or is that the same thing? It's the same thing. That's okay. an interchangeable term. Yeah. So originally they had somebody else who was English, um, who had done some other really, really good movies, but him and James Cameron clashed because the other, the DP and I, they, they said his name and I can't remember it. He lit everything in sort of the English tradition of filmmaking, which is the director tells the DP what he, or what the shot is, and the DP lights it basically however the fuck he wants. Uh huh. Jim Cameron was like, no, 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 I want this tunnel scene lit only by the miner's lights. But he had like side lighting and everything, and they just clashed, and yeah. he finally was like, fine, you're out. He actually clashed a lot with the English crew. A, a lot of directors you know, will take uh, the advice of the DP, you know, because they, they're master lighters. That is their entire, you know, main position is how to do the lighting for, for the movie. Um, but there are some directors who I imagine they want it their way. It's their way or the highway. And I could see totally see James Cameron being that way. And that, but, and that is James Cameron's MO is to, he is very control freak from what everyone says. Yeah. I do want to mention that H.R. Uh, Geiger is the one who is credited as the original designer of the Xenomorph. He didn't work on this film specifically, but in Alien, um, you know, he is the one who's credited with the original design of the Alien. Um, and of course, the Alien effects in Aliens is done by Stan Winston, amazing creature creator. We keep talking about him on movies with Corey. I mean, honestly, it's like if we have a Stan Winston episode, Corey's going to be on it. There's a good chance. There's a good chance of it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, all right. Let's talk about and, the uh, cast. Did you want to? Did you want to mention real quick that uh, Gail Ann Hurd produced this, and she's a huge producer. Uh, tell me about Gail Ann Hurd. <laughs> Most people nowadays know uh, know her from Walking Dead. She produces Walking Dead. Ah, uh, but okay. uh, she's done a lot of stuff. A uh, lot, a lot of James Cameron movies. Okay, let's get into the cast. Actually, I think I'm going to mention all the people that uh, we'll probably go through later in our own casting. But this is this is a huge cast in this one. All right, of course, uh, Ripley, 
is done by Sigourney Weaver. We know her from the entire Alien quadrilogy, as well as Ghostbusters, Avatar. Um, Hicks is played by Michael Bean. We've seen him before in Terminator. Burke is played by Paul Reiser, who everyone knows from Mad About You. Yep. <laughs> we should, damn it, we could have done an Aliens Mad About You episode. Yeah. That would have been there. Um, Bishop is played by Lance Hendrickson who is in Terminator, as well as Alien vs. Predator. And Hudson is uh, played by Bill Paxton, who has been in Terminator and Predator 2, uh, as well as Apollo 13 and Twister. But I specifically mentioned those two back-to-back and with those credits because I know you both know the fantastic stat about both Lance Hendrickson and Bill Paxton. They are the only two people to have been killed by an alien, a Predator, uh, and a Terminator. Yeah, that's an awesome movie stat uh and another fun fact is lance henriksen was supposed to originally play the terminator in terminator uh gorman is played by william hope he's been in triple x um hellraiser 2 and i thought most interestingly he's been a voice in the thomas the tank engine show for like well over a decade wow he's not thomas but (laughs) he's one of like the the friends and it's pretty cool uh, Vasquez is played by Jeanette Goldstein. She, you've seen her in Near Dark, but for me, most famously, she was um, the uh, foster parent of. Oh my God, why can't I remember his name? John Connor. John Connor. In John Connor in, uh, in Terminator Two. <laughs> and you can also hear Zach and I interview Jeanette Goldstein on Podcasting After Dark this month, and we talked to her about the entire casting process of how she became uh, got cast as Vasquez. She originally uh, auditioned for Dietrich or Pharaoh, the other two female Marines, uh-huh. and uh, she ended up as Vasquez. And if you listen to the interview, she tells you the whole thing about it. And I didn't know it; it was really interesting. And she also talks about working on uh, Near Dark and Terminator Two, and just the whole thing. She's she's had an interesting career, and now she's uh, she's an entrepreneur. She owns a bunch of uh, businesses, uh, f- like clothing stores in L.A. You can and say in it. Atlanta. They're bra stores. <laughs> they're bra stores. Specific. They're bra Booby stores. holder stores. <laughs> specifically for large-breasted women is is literally what they are for. So it's Jeanette's huh. bras, and there's four stores in L.A. and one in Atlanta that just opened. In this movie, when she's doing the pull-ups later, she does seem quite busty, so I think it, it's pretty fitting. Yeah, it is. Fitting? You get it? <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'm sorry, everybody. Uh, okay, Drake is played by Mark Ralston. We talked about him before in the uh, RoboCop episode, mm-hmm. um, as well as our Shawshank Redemption e- episode. Yeah. And he's in Lethal Weapon 2 at the beginning. And Lethal Weapon 2. Uh, Apone is played by Al Matthews. He's been in smaller parts in Fifth Element, Superman 3, and Tomorrow Never Dies. And Newt is played by Carrie Henn. Uh, this is really her only credit. I think she's a teacher now is what I understand. She is. She is a fourth grade teacher in the L.A. area. Oh, is okay. she? she's in L.A. Okay, nice. Mm-hmm. I, for some reason, thought she was U.K. based. Well, huh? she no, I mean, that's where she grew up, but her, okay. her father was army her oh. mother is english but her father was army and so they ended up in la oh that makes and sense. so that's that's where she is now yeah. okay so maybe get her for the next pad interview yeah episode? yeah we might uh yeah reach out to her on that we're actually uh trying to re- reach out to uh, rico ross who played uh frost yeah in oh, this cool. movie yeah which we are not recasting unfortunately because his <laughs> character did not last too long <laughs> yeah yeah uh, the last couple things i wanted to mention is uh as Corey already said, this is one of his favorite, if not his favorite movie of all time. This film obviously is regarded as one of the best action movies of all time. I consider it in my top three action movies. Maybe it's my top four action movies of all time. I consider Aliens, Terminator 2, Predator, and Die Hard 
like those are like the top four action movies of all time in my in my head. Um, and then also, this is one of the best sequels of all time. Yeah, it's one of the few times, and people can debate because they are technically two different style of movies. But in in my eyes, this is one of the few times where the sequel actually outshines the original. I would agree. Yeah, and I'm I know that a lot of people ha- that's a debate if Alien is better or Aliens, and you know you could also say apples and oranges because they are two different genres. But yeah, yeah. I, I love Alien, but I always consider this uh, a more favorited movie than Alien. Yeah. Agreed. Alien much more into that thriller realm, um, and this is is pretty hard pressed into the action. Yeah. So, um, and then I am going to be doing the breakdown of the theatrical version. Corey, you know, as he kind of mentioned earlier, you know, there's different run times. I've got both, obviously, and I've got the Alien quadrilogy on Blu-ray. It's got all the different versions, but I I prefer talking theatrical versions just because i'm an i'm an editor and i think you know what the one that comes out and director's cuts are like well fuck you not fuck the director's cut it's the editor's cut that i want yeah <laughs> so, um, and i'll and i'll try to interject like when there's a couple of differences yeah. and it's it's mostly to do with uh uh Ellen Ripley's kid, anytime they talk about her daughter, Amanda, and, and the whole thing at the beginning, and then a lot of the, the whole smart century machine gun things uh, that you see, which I am always impressed when I watch the director's cut of how good of a job the editor did of extracting every little piece of information like about the century guns out of the movie to, the, to make it to the point where you don't even know that they existed in the theatrical cut. And I, will, I just want to say as a kid... I remember, you know, way back in the days, like early 90s, when it would pop up on TV or something, they would sometimes insert the the director's cut stuff into it, like the, the century gun and stuff. And I, remember, I remember. Yeah. yeah. And as a kid, I it was it was like basically me and my buddy Luke would talk about it and be like stuff of legends. We were like, what is that? We've never seen that before. <laughs> like we didn't understand what it was. So it's it's really neat. And, and growing up in a time prior to the Internet and everything, it made for just a lot of fun speculation and wonderment. Um, um, but, you know, at this point, I've seen the theatrical cut more, but I tend to watch the director's mm. cut because because it doesn't hurt the canon, where, uh, as opposed to the alien director's cut has this one sequence in it where Ripley discovers uh, a cocooned Dallas um, who was played by uh, Tom Skerritt, mm-hmm. and he's, concoo- he's cocooned and turning into an egg. So this was before Aliens, before they had the idea of having a queen. The idea then was that the alien was going to basically turn you into the egg. So it's a neat <laughs> sequence that it's in the director's cut of Alien and you can see it, but it's not canon, so I hate watching the director's cut of Alien. It all it all depends on what you like, and yeah, totally understand. And just not until you mentioned it, I kind of like I kind of got a flash because I tend to watch the theatrical cuts, um, just usually because you know I, that's what came out and that's what I, I typically you know I, I like something condensed. I like something that is just you know flows maybe a little bit faster. I absolutely remember some of the century stuff of like just going back thinking of like the TNT cut, yeah, um, or something like that. And it's like, wait a minute, you're right because just watching this the other day. There were no centuries, but I have a, a memory in there. Yeah, yeah. I totally you're like, remember I remember that. that. Yeah, yeah. Hey, John, I know you just watched it uh, with your family. Which um, which version did you show them? I didn't watch it. I've seen this movie so many times, I didn't need to watch it. No, I thought, but I thought you like a couple weeks ago you showed it to your son and daughter. Oh, well, okay. So, admittedly, that was like <laughs> two months ago. <laughs> okay, that was like two months ago. Although, sometime about three weeks ago, I did wake up and walk out and found my daughter watching it on television. Okay, so when you showed it to your daughter and your son, which version was it? The theatrical cut. Okay. I don't I don't okay. own the director's cut. 9 times okay. out of 10, I hate the idea of a director's cut. So I don't watch them. <laughs> 
if anybody if anybody was curious as to why we cut out the TV show, um, we've, we've been recording for. <laughs> We're, we are just now getting to the start of the movie, and this is like twice as long as, as our normal time to get to the start of the movie. So I think it makes sense. So we start uh, with a title card in space. We have a lone ship. Uh, basically, it starts, uh, well, it seemingly starts where Alien left off. Um, Ripley is in hypersleep. Um, another ship finds her. We cut to uh, a shot of someone cutting open the door with a really cool kind of like laser machine. Um, and in comes a scanner and already I'm thinking to myself, man, I love the look of that cutting through the door. I love the look of that scanner when it mm-hmm. comes in and it just kind of like does a little pan with that awesome looking laser that it's got. But, uh, a salvage crew comes in and finds Ripley. She's got her cat with her, which we love that little Jonesy from the oh, first movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And, and the funny thing is, this is the first thing that I've noticed. Um, I have, a, uh, I mean, we all have big TVs now because they're so damn cheap, but it's like, you know, 55, 60 inch or whatever flat screen bullshit and uh it's the first time i've ever seen this movie in such high def clarity that i never once in my entire life noticed that the salvage crew guys they had a uh, colonial marine shin armor on that was just painted yellow to kind of match their their outfit and that means nothing to anybody other than <laughs> me and the fact that like i swear i knew every inch of this film and kind of seen it in on blu-ray on an hd tv 4k tv i was like holy shit this was like watching it kind of for the first time i can't remember if it was in one of our earlier sequels episode or in uh maybe robocop because you've mentioned you're an armor file for some reason you specifically love armor yep and colonial marine armor is my favorite futuristic military armor of all time see that's funny Corey, because i'm obsessed with weapons Oh, with Ooh. what like, a team like fantasy <laughs> weapons. Yeah, yeah I see. Yeah. I see another podcast brewing here. Just just about <laughs> armor and weapons. Yeah, um, I am. I'm already excited about it. So, John, let's uh, let's discuss that after we're done recording, because, yes, the, the answer is yes. <laughs> OK, at the at the medical facility uh, at Gateway Station where Ripley is being held. She's awake now. We meet Burke. Uh, he works for the company. Um, we just kind of, you know, they're always referred to as just the company at this point, which is just this overarching, super uh, rich company that kind of like drives everything, or at least like uh, the driving force of these movies. Yeah, Wayland Utani. Which, when do they mention that? They, they don't mention that in this movie at all. Um, well, you see the name everywhere, but they don't actually say it. Yeah. Okay. Ripley's apparently been asleep for 57 years. And then all of a sudden, you know, she's getting some chest pains. We get a chest burster. Things are in slow motion. Oh, shit. It's a dream. Naturally, uh, you know, she's reliving some of the shit that she'd gone through in Aliens. Uh, That's a good job. They did a good job of, you know, kind of reinforcing, you know, honestly, I've seen this movie way more times than I've seen Alien. uh, But like, you know, just that little sequence kind of kicks me back into like, oh, shit, the actual intensity and uh, gravity of what she saw before, you know, you get in that little slow-mo dream sequence right there. And it kind of like it informs the viewer that she's also still dealing with PTSD. While the events of the first movie may be 57 years ago, to her, it was literally a blink of an eye ago. Uh, she talks to some people from the company and they don't understand. They don't believe that these aliens exist. It's a rock. No indigenous life. No, it's a rock. No indigenous life. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and I love when she's just like, good. That's because I blew it out of the goddamn airlock. <laughs> yeah, you, know, yeah. she's, you know, she's already kind of she's she is so strong willed, um, and you know, but she's also very vulnerable in this movie, which I, I love. I mean, Sigourney Reaver does such a 
good, good job in this film. Yeah, and that's that was the part that made recasting Ripley hard because she has to go from super vulnerable to to badass, and you know it's and it has to be believable. Um, but the one thing I love about this little scene is the idea that in the future we're all just wearing suits, but with the collars popped up, and that's how you know it's the future. <laughs> yeah, well, it's, it kind of takes me back to like fucking frat 2004 2005 <laughs> times all, all the fret boys were popping collars like crazy maybe they took their cues from aliens uh all right so they think that she's crazy of course she's pissed at them for that um she finds out that there's been a group of terraformers out on lv426 lv426 is the planet where they ended up kind of picking up the alien in the first film and if anybody was curious as to why we are dropping this episode on April 26th, 426, which is Aliens Day because of LV426. Hey, that's one of the best things the internet's come up with. It's like that and May the 4th be with you are the yeah. two like the two made up <laughs> holidays that I love the most. Then we get I think a fantastic shot of, you know, Ripley in just kind of you know, she, she just disbelief where you get a shot of her holding a cigarette that has obviously not been smoked, just sitting there. It's kind of, you know, it's, it hasn't been ashed yet. And so it's got a whole string of it kind of just um, in her hand. But I've always loved that shot of her holding the cigarette. It just, to me, it conveys so much where she's just thinking, oh my God, what's going on with these terraformers? They're all fucking dead, you know, over at L246. L2- now, humanity is all going to die because these aliens are going to just end up taking over or whatever. Um, And so she is so distraught that it's that to me, that speaks so highly from that one shot of her holding a cigarette. And I'm always amazed at how they did it as, as an ex smoker, uh, you know, I know how long it takes for that thing to burn down like that. And I'm guessing Sigourney Weaver just had to sit there until they got to the right spot. And then they started the, basically the camera going, you know, and, uh, yep. <laughs> are, are you either of you guys ex smokers? Did you guys ever smoke back in the day? Not really. I did it a very tiny little bit in college, then stopped like very, like a couple months and then stopped. You were infinitely smarter than me. <laughs> <laughs> That's for sure. <laughs> but this uh, this cigarette shot and uh, the one in Ghostbusters where Ray has his hanging off his lower lip are my two <laughs> are my two favorite cigarette shots in a movie. <laughs> and what about uh, in a movie? What about a TV show when Kramer's got off the side of his lip and he's drinking a beer? Yeah, that's yeah. There you go. That'd be the third one. Here's to feeling good all the time. <laughs> there you go. And in case you guys didn't know, me and Corey have a <laughs> podcast all about Seinfeld. <laughs> called Cartwright, a Seinfeld podcast. Uh, All right, minor plug there. Burke and Gorman, uh, Lieutenant Gorman, who's this military dude, uh, come to her apartment. They've apparently lost contact with the colonizers on Evely 426. The Marines want to go and have her join them as a guide and basically be an advisor. Can I ask you a question? Do you think... Uh, for both you guys, is is her apartment on Earth or is she still on Gateway right now? I don't know. Because and I only say that because Gateway Station didn't look that big that they would house just anybody. Like, I imagine it's only for people who work there. But then again, was she working at the loading docks? I think they mentioned it doesn't matter. I was just curious if you guys thought that was Earth or if that was like like Gateway Station. I didn't assume it was Earth, but I just assumed it was some I guess, I guess I always assumed it was she was at the same place at Gateway Station. And I, I did, too, until I watched it with my wife. And I was like, huh, I wonder if that's actually Earth or not. But it doesn't matter at the end of the day. John, do you have a do you have an idea on it? No, I always thought it was weird that it that that it happened so fast between her 
telling them what she thought happened to them saying, hey, we need to go find them. And I could never really tell if if it, if it happened... Like it's it's very hard to tell that time has passed. Yeah. Like it makes you think like like it's just automatically like oh hey we're we happen to be talking about this thing and then now all of a sudden we can't talk to them so I'm so. curious if they had some scenes of like you know her um, joining you know that construction crew or whatever you know because now she's working loaders and forklifts and stuff like that and so you're right um, I am curious if maybe they had some of that those scenes to show some passage of time that ended up getting cut for time reasons or something that's yeah. a good call. Um, but I do want to call out, you know, we see her doing loaders and things like that now. Um, I just want to call out at setup number one. Okay. They leave and we cut to her uh, waking up from a nightmare, um, soaked in sweat, just like Burke kind of mentioned that she does. So she eventually kind of comes to the conclusion or the decision that, you know, as long as the plan is to kill the aliens and not bring them back, she's up for helping. And of course, Burke says, "Yeah, yeah, of course, yeah, naturally, of course, of course, Na- of course, naturally." And I love we're gonna we're gonna trust the guy from the company, right? Of, co- of course. I mean, right <laughs> yeah. now he he seems trustworthy. To be truthful, we all know where Burke goes in this, but right now, if you watch it, he does seem trustworthy. And Paul Reiser does do a good job of kind of getting close to you and everything. I, I just do love the fact. Uh, I love 1986 future technology, and I love that Burke's card is actually like a way to call. Like it's actually like a sort of a phone number that you put into the to the TV screen. Oh, yeah. I like that. I was like, oh, that's really, really cool. I mean, you know, no one has, has yep. iPhones or anything in here, so it's completely wrong. But, uh, <laughs> you know, it's cool what, what Sid Mead, uh, who famously Sid Mead is a this, like, futurist sort of artist, con- uh, concept designer. Uh, he passed away, I think it was this year or last year, uh, really recently. But he is accredited for the look of, like, a lot of the stuff you see, the Silaco, the inside of stuff. He's he was ve- Sid Mead is very big on creating these futuristic looking things like uh, Blade Runner, the, 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 the ships in that, you know, the cars in that. And he makes it like realistic. That was kind of like his, his thing. But uh, everything you see that sort of future check, future tech is Sid Mead. All right. So now we cut to uh, we're on a big military ship and the Marines and Ripley wake up from hypersleep. I love the first time we meet Apone, he wakes up and immediately puts a cigar in his mouth. Like, <laughs> this guy is the coolest. Dude, a day in the Marine Corps is like a day on the farm. Every meal's a paycheck. Wait, shit. <laughs> I fucked, fucked it up. Let me go back. Day in the Marine Corps is like a day on the farm. Every meal's a banquet. Every paycheck a fortune. Every formation a parade. I love the call. It is. It's a, he's, he's got great quotes. Um, and I, I want to call out. Just because I I love the ser- the Halo series, um, part- well, I mean the earlier stuff. Like when I was uh, in high school and whatnot, I played Halo One with uh, my friends, Halo Two yeah. uh, and Three. Just you know, up until ODST, and then I stopped um, because I got a life. Uh, <laughs> but they have a kind of like a sergeant in those games who is, which they admitted to, is one hundred percent a ripoff of Apone, and I just I love it. I mean, Apone is such a fun leader a fun like you know sergeant character you know he's not like a he's not like the thinker guy he's not like the top guy but he is like a great grunt yeller you know he's gonna yell at the grunts perfectly exactly what you want yeah. exactly so. oh, he's great he's one of well, he might actually be my favorite character in the entire movie so much more so much so that I used to run a uh, Sergeant Apone Facebook fan page uh, it's still up but you know I just don't mess with it because I'm not really on Facebook but I love that <laughs> I love wow. him he's great and uh, he's the only one of the cast who actually has military experience mm-hmm. oh I didn't know that that's very cool yes. which he he speculated is why he got the job 
Yeah. Okay. <laughs> well, he, I'm so glad he did. Um, all right. We meet uh, some other people. I want to call out Vasquez. We kind of her the first shot of her. We see her doing pull-ups. It just really kind of shows how hard she is. You know, she wakes up. She's immediately doing pull-ups. Pretty badass. And Hudson is a sarcastic turd. That's exactly <laughs> what we meet about him. We then meet Bishop as they're eating breakfast. And Bishop, who, you know, we don't know who he is at this time, but he does this fucking knife trick where he goes like super fast between the uh, indents of his finger and Hudson's because I think it was Frost who, or Drake. I think it was Drake who it was, kind yeah. of forces down. Yeah, yeah, because Hudson wants Hudson wants uh, Bishop to do it like sort of to himself, like the trick. Yes. And then Drake comes up behind him and shoves sort of Hudson's hand underneath uh, Bishop's. Oh my God, it's so good. When he's screaming as it's like going... It's it's fantastic. It's just fantastic. <laughs> and that was something that uh, Jim Cameron talked uh, to uh, Lance Henderson about about two months before they shot it. He was talking to him about how they should introduce Bishop into it. And so they came up with the knife trick. And so he practiced for about two months oh. of actually getting it right. Because it looks really fast, but it does not look like sped up like Mad Max footage. So that was really Lance Hendrickson going that fast, essentially. I don't think he was going that fast, but I think they got him going as fast as he could. And then sped that up a little bit, which probably makes it look a little bit more natural. Yeah, gave it a little bit of a nudge. Yeah. Uh, We've kind of find out that he's an android. He apparently kind of nicked his finger or something, and he doesn't have red blood. He's got like this milky looking thing. Ripley is not happy about having an android on board. Now, that's because uh, Bilbo Baggins went nuts in the last movie. Uh, natural, um, that's that's because uh, Ian Holm yeah. was the android on Alien, and, and he kind of went all scrambly. Um, but, you know, that's why I called him. It's Bilbo Baggins. Anyway, <laughs> you guys got we it. We got it. We laughed. We got yeah. it. We know. Thank you. I love, we get a a great little line where, you know, she's, she's pissed it at, at, at Bishop and she smacks the pan, you know, he's got I think cornbread in his hand or you know, she's pissed and, and and walks away and then Frost turns uh to somebody else and Corey, I see you you're excited you want to say this line. <laughs> now you built it up, buddy. You get to you deserve it. <laughs> well, Frost Frost who we don't talk about too much cuz he's going to die pretty soon. Uh <laughs> he he says, "Guess she don't like the cornbread either." <laughs> I love it. it's a it's a good, just a good little addition yeah. of comedy in a and obviously a, a contentious scene. Yeah, it, and I mean completely just plausible. Like it, that sounds like something a grunt would say. You know, if something yeah. like that happened. You know, <laughs> yeah, very true. We are now at the uh, in the hangar bay, and Gorman briefs the Marines. Uh, I love that he confuses Hudson and Hicks. I mean, this uh, is, this works for a couple different ra- ways, in my opinion. One, this really shows that Gorman hasn't worked with these uh, individuals before, so he's kind of new and and he's um he doesn't really know them. He's kind of fresh, at least. He's kind of an he's like an he's like an outsider to the to the team. Yeah. You can tell that the team with Apone is like a well knit team. You know, they've been around together. He feels very much like an outsider. Gorman does. Yeah. Yeah, they, and they, they have a couple little things. Even at the breakfast scene, they mentioned, I guess the new lieutenant doesn't want to sit with us, yeah. uh, shit like that. So they kind of they set that up, which I think we get a payoff later um, with his death um, kind of as a, almost like a team effort yeah. with that. But I love that he confuses Hudson and Hicks because Hudson, obviously played by Bill Paxton, 
in his real life was constantly confused with Bill Pullman. And <laughs> just like you're constantly like, oh, oh, I know somebody. He was in uh, that guy was in Newsies, right? No, it's Bill Pullman, not Bill Paxton. Uh, oh, okay, fine. Well, that other dude was in uh, Apollo 13. No, 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 that's Bill Paxton, not Bill Pullman. Um, I, I don't know. I, I always kind of confuse them. Right? I, I mean, like it's and it's a great line. He's like Hudson, sir. He's Hicks, and he's like, and then Gorman's like, what is it, Private? Uh, Gorman then uh, he I think this is the first time they mentioned the word xenomorph mm-hmm. in the movies I, I don't think they mentioned it before I think this is the first time they kind of give a name which I always thought was kind of weird because they've never they've never known this species before but the, yet they have a name for it well no I don't think that that's a name for this particular species I think they use xenomorph as a term for all aliens xeno is just alien yeah um I I and okay. here's here's what I I take it as as then the the franchise ran with it because you know you, like predator you don't have a, a terminology to say that this is what it is, right? Predator's mm-hmm. easier than Alien. E- anytime I do anything with, like, search terms or whatever, like, I always got to put, like, hashtag Alien movie or something, you know? It's like, you, they couldn't just say Alien. They tried to give a xenomorph. But moving forward, the the franchise gave that name to just this species. But I I believe at the time, Frost was saying, uh, it's a bug hunt. It's, you know, is this a stand-up fight star or is this a bug hunt? You know, and, uh, and, and I think that it just meant it was an alien just in general because they mentioned earlier that like there's been about 300 planets they've colonized and you know you get the sense that this this creature is probably the most badass thing they've ever fought but every planet probably has some sort of weird little alien thing that the people on that planet have to sort of contend with and then you know sometimes the colonial marines have to come up and and just mop up and for them it's just essentially no different than like shooting like space cows or something but this is the first time they've gone against something that's actually like you know or just like just so, like a face space fox like something that's like sort of harmless whereas this is the first time they've gone up against something that's just a total badass yeah fair enough uh all right so ripley then kind of briefs them on the story that she knows kind of going over the the movie alien basically they all take it as a joke you know something simple you know they've fought stuff before they're hardened marines this is this ain't shit but ripley isn't you know so eased by their joking I, i like how how hard she takes it to them she really kind of pushes back and they're like, no, you little fuckers, this is not going to be some simple thing. Gorman kind of sets them to task, but God, love Apone's quote here. It's just so good. Like when they're getting them ready, he goes, all right, sweethearts, you heard the man and you know the drill, assholes and elbows. Hudson, come here. Come here. Hudson, come here. Come here. <laughs> yeah, I know, because Hudson was being a little shit fuck. Um <laughs> But it's just, oh, God, everything out of Apone's mouth is just perfection. Pure gold. <laughs> Although I will say this, if you do run, uh, if anyone ever wants to pick up and run a, a Sergeant Apone fan page, you will run out of material in the first month. There's, there's nothing, <laughs> there's not a lot there to work with. <laughs> Very true. All right. Ripley wants to be useful, so she offers help on a loader. She kind of shows her skill there. That is set up. Two. Uh, then we move to a quick shot of Vasquez and Drake uh, prepping one of the coolest guns in <laughs> sci-fi history. Oh, my God. Uh, John, as our gunman, can you tell us a little bit about this gun? Yeah. All right. So the M56 smart gun, as it is actually labeled, 10 millimeter caseless rounds. 10 millimeter is an actual round. I, the reason I, I know could a good bit about this gun, and the only reason is, is at one point about five years ago, I decided that we were all going to do something aliens related for Halloween. 
I built my wife a fake power loader out of styrofoam. Adam, I believe you actually helped paint it at one point. I don't remember. I could have been drunk. Um, but <laughs> actually, you know what? I think yeah, I do. I do think I, I yes. did help with that. But yeah, this. I mean, John, th- you you guys went above and beyond this Halloween. So yeah, so my wife uh, was Ripley. She was a power loader. We kind of dressed her like Ripley, and the power loader was just the, from the waist up, and it was made out of styrofoam. I just took styrofoam pieces, glued them together. It looked really cool. And I was sort of just a colonist. We just had a, a, my daughter at that point. I mean, she was literally two months old. Um, so instead of dressing her up, I took a big T-shirt, put blood on it, ripped a hole in it, and fed her in my front pack through the front of my chest. Yeah, she was so a chest burster. So she awesome. was a chest burster. <laughs> chest burster. Um, and then my son was a smart gunner. Oh, and man. so I, I spent a lot of time looking at the armor and the guns and figuring out how to make them and what you know what I could kind of do. And in my process of this, I found out kind of what they actually made the, the gun out of. And I forget the exact... Uh, original gun they used. It was an English machine gun, and they just added some different stuff to it. Um, they took pieces off of a motorcycle, so the 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 grips in the front and the back that they're actually holding are actually uh, the grips from a motorcycle, including the clutch, which is the trigger, and then a uh, Steadicam arm is what it's attached to. Yeah. So it's it's all that. There's all kinds of really fun stuff if you ever get into... There's a lot of fan pages about how this armor was built and how all the you know, props and stuff like that are built. So it's one of the coolest looking things on the planet. I've always been in love with this freaking gun. Yeah. So, John, are you more of a smart gun guy or a pulse rifle guy? I'm assuming smart gun guy. I'm more of a smart gun guy. I, appreci- I appreciate the pulse rifle, the uh, M41A pulse rifle, as it is called, mm-hmm. for for what it is and, and you know how they built it. But like, if you gave me a choice and you said, here, pick one, I would pick the smart gun 10 out of 10 days of the week. Yeah. yeah. Which yeah. is weird because no, there's I- only seven. Yeah, yeah. I'm, dude. And spoiler alert for whatever uh, gun, uh, sci-fi gun uh, episode that John and I do, uh, the the pulse rifle will always be my number one movie gun. I just, I I think it's just sexy as hell, and I love that sound. Um, The only thing, because I don't look into a lot of the the tech on it, or, or you know, the behind the scenes tech. John, do you know why it's called a pulse rifle? Like, is it because it doesn't fire? You know, like when guns, ex- like the round explodes based based on gun, you know, gunpowder shooting, propelling the 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 bullet out. Is it not that? Is it something different that makes it a quote unquote pulse rifle? Well, I mean, I'm guessing if I, you know, I haven't looked too much into that in the name, but um, if you fire a pulse, it usually means you're right, you're firing a three round burst. Oh, okay. So the name actually comes from the burst fire of it. I see. M- maybe they only fire in bursts. Maybe they don't yeah. fire single mm-hmm. fire round. Maybe they only okay. fire in burst. Nice. Okay. That's so, I, yeah. Yeah, you're right. I, I didn't think about that as it just as far as a firing mechanism. Which goes. the pulse rifle is built around a Tommy gun. Really? Yes. It doesn't. Would... Everyone thinks of Tommy gun as with the drum mag. Yeah. But of you course. can ha- you can you don't need to have just the the drum mag for uh, a Tommy gun. Okay. Yeah. Watch uh, Watch Saving Private Ryan. Uh, usually yeah, back in World War II, I think the the officers would get like platoon leaders or something would have like the Tommy gun or the Thompson yeah. gun without the the rounded mm-hmm. barrel, and then everyone else would have the uh, you know the single bolt action rifles. Okay. Which is kind of like in Starship Troopers when Radcheck has a different version of the the machine gun than the rest of the mobile infantry guys do. Usually, usually the the pl- the platoon leader has has a smaller, more like yes. higher round type of thing, but not as not as 
not as distance heavy, I guess. Like, it's not as good distance wise. So, like in in World War Two and stuff like that, you'd have your platoon would have like the standard rifle, and then the the leader would have like a carbine, which is smaller round. They'd have uh, actually originally they would just carry a pistol, so they wouldn't even have a rifle. Um, and then they gave them what was called a carbine round, so it's like a, a pistol caliber in a smaller rifle so they at least still had some distance that they they could shoot but because they're doing so many other things they let the other soldiers do the grunt work with the heavier rifles so the yeah. leader always has a smaller gun uh with a, with a usually a smaller round and isn't the, the tommy gun that way isn't the tommy gun fire smaller like pistol rounds yeah it's it fires small pistol rounds yeah it's a okay. it's a sub it's a pistol caliber submachine gun Okay. All right. We'll, we will continue this conversation on the, uh, the the Corey and John Gun Show. I was about to say, that was a pretty big tangent on guns right there. Y'all do need to get that armor and, uh, and, and movie gun podcast going. All right. But you know what? It's not just guns and armor that look cool. Yeah. Because this fucking space tank that is in the next shot... God damn, I love that like that space car or that you know that that tank kind of car, the military vehicle that the they APC, got. The APC, yeah. It looks so good. Yeah. And yeah. You know the, what that The APC's awesome and so is the dropship. Yeah, John, I'm sorry. Go. I, was I, saying, I know you... what it, Yeah, what's the okay. APC made out of? And that's okay, Corey. You can go ahead and tell if you know. <laughs> I know. I, I do, but I don't know the actual name of it, so. Oh, well, I don't know the actual name of it either. It's just it's it's a uh, 747 tug. So it's yeah. a thing that pulls the 747 out of the uh oh. out of wherever they the hangar there it is yeah and uh-huh. it's like it's like really low to the ground and and yeah. like yeah and real kind of flat and everything yeah and they just added a bunch of extra shit onto it but that's why i mean it just looks so beefy mm-hmm. and mean yeah. and uh you know I, and the dropship too i freaking love the dropship it's one of my favorite like movie spaceship type of things and uh the slacko too all the gear like everything in this movie is just so awesome and and feels like real, you know, like feels like it's 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 possible to happen. It's very functional. Uh, all right, so yeah, the team is kind of all getting ready. They're getting um, you know, set up into the dropship. Uh, you know, they get the uh, tank loaded in there. They're about to drop, and we get just one amazing line from Hudson before they do. Five. We're on express elevator to hell, going down. And they drop and go to the planet. I love, love, love that Hicks is asleep while like there's terrible um you know uh just there's <laughs> just shaking his like, head is like and he's just bouncing around yeah but it's just nothing to him like he's done this shit so many times yeah uh, you know we kind of find out that uh, gorman really hasn't done that many just kind of reinforcing that he's not part of the team he he's He's kind of fresh to everybody else, so. Yeah, he's only done actual two combat drops, uh, including this one. Yeah, yeah. Uh, We also kind of see that everybody has cameras and heart monitors, and this was a great stylistic choice because later on, you know, when we kind of see people get taken out through just their heart monitors going blank, through their cameras going dark, it does such a great job of reemphasizing like the horror aspect of this film because this is a great action movie, but this has elements of horror action as well. And using those two um, things to that to great effect. Yeah, yep. it's very effective. I would say much more effective than just actually seeing the people get killed by the alien. Yeah, agreed. Uh, I want to say something real quick about the ABC that I found. So, Corey, I said before that I didn't watch the movie. What I did do is I watched a three-hour documentary on yeah. the making of the movie. <laughs> yeah, instead. I've, I've seen that one. It's it's fan, it's one of the best making of documentaries that I've ever seen in my entire life. I totally agree. It is really really good. It's actually it was it wasn't even the first time I'd seen it. I'd seen it once or twice before. Um, but one thing I did find interesting is in the actual APC, they could only fit like three people. 
So anytime you see them pouring out, they pour out three people at a time and then have to cut and then put more people in and then do it again. So they, there's always like a quick cut or something around when they're coming out because they couldn't they couldn't just have one continuous shot because yeah. only like three people fit in there. Uh, it's kind of like uh, it's kind of like the the sleeping uh, chambers in at the beginning on the Slacko. Oh, yeah. If you look in the master shot, they actually have a mirror in the back because they only have like I think like eight of them and it makes it look like there's you know like sixteen or something. But they they just put a mirror there to kind of make it look like it goes further. Yeah. Uh, All right. So they fly over the colony. Things seem potentially okay. You know, there's still power. There's whatnot. Um, They're not seeing anybody, which is kind of strange. I will say this, like, and I'm not, uh, I'm trying not to ensure, insert like a a thousand and one quotes here, but like anytime (laughs) someone says, like, like if I'm looking for something, I always say, where's the damn beacon? Oh, I see it. Like, I I don't, it's insane how much, like, watching this with my wife, I'm just like, oh my God, like, how many things I actually just quote just randomly, you know? And that's not even a line that anyone would think to say. Like, I I think of a lot of other lines on this one, but not, where's the damn beacon? Oh, there it is. Like, that's just like, I don't know, that was honestly a throwaway, unnecessary thing. I know, I know. (laughs) But but you, for some reason... You latch on. <laughs> when you've seen a movie a hundred plus times, or, or I should say, you know, I've seen it probably like maybe 50 times. The other 50 times, like I'd be in high school, like I would just be drawing at my, my desk and it would just be playing. So I, I've heard it. I've like heard the movie like a hundred times, you know, so <laughs> chalk yeah. it up to that. So, uh, so they land, they get out, um, you know, things obviously look fucked up. There's just stuff kind of like dangling from the ceilings and stuff like that. We then start getting the first use of the motion trackers. And very similarly to like the heart monitors and the cameras, the use of motion trackers and how it intensifies, you know, the horror aspects of the aliens coming at you, it's just tenfold. Like they mm-hmm. they take some of the scariness of alien, but then they're like, "Oh hey, we're not going to show you the alien creeping up at you at all. We're just going to get a fucking blip." And that is going to be so much scarier. Mm-hmm. And it, it, it is. Holy shit, it is. And I have flashbacks to playing the Alien versus Predator video game, yeah. um, you know, from like 1999. And, and you're, you're play- when you're playing the Colonial Marine, you barely, you don't last long, no, you know, no. <laughs> because you, you hear that, mar- that monitor, you know, or hear that um, the, the motion detector and you're just like, oh, God, oh, God, where are they coming from? I'm <laughs> fucked. And then you die. Like, that's how I was. I was always terrible. But like. That shit is scary as hell. And that sound that it makes at this point is so iconic. The The sound design in this movie is amazing. And they James Cameron almost uses that that ping sound, that the ping that it makes, as 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 the soundtrack to that scene when it's happening. It's just it's it's remarkable yep. how he can kind of go from like music to, to using sound effects as as also sort of a musical score. But yeah, you, when you hear that, you just instantly know that just Pain is coming. Just pain. <laughs> pain. <laughs> Sorry. That was Clubber Lang. <laughs> My prediction. Pain. pain. <laughs> Rocky Good Three one. has nothing to do with the series, but I just when I hear pain, I think of Clubber Lang. <laughs> I'll I'll take it, dude. I'll take it any day. <laughs> uh apparently Gorman thinks that, you know, things seem secure enough. Uh so Ripley and her and, and uh him and Burke head out and you know they go in as well. They find some face huggers uh, in the jars. I don't know if they have like a specific name to them other than face huggers. Like that, that is like the semi species of that group, you know, before they cocoon a human and whatnot. Two of them are still alive. Uh, then they get some motion 
on the detectors. I'm like, oh shit, I can't remember. Was it Drake or, or uh, Vasquez almost no, shoots Newt? Uh, no, the, uh, that was Drake. Yeah, because yeah, the, uh, I think I think Apone and uh, Vasquez and his team are in um, con- the control room, and they're in med op, med ops, or med labs, or whatever it's called. We find they see Newt. Uh, Ripley eventually kind of gets to her and starts to kind of connect with her a little bit. You know, get some contact and connect. Man, can you can you imagine like surviving that? Like, I, no. just how new is just just my god i guess terrifying the whole thing is terrifying when you think about it but it's it's horrible it's absolutely horrible i, th- I think it's something only a kid would have done thought to do because it, like as a kid you don't have a lot of experience so you just you're running on instinct yeah. and instinct is set to live i mean if it were me and i just watched my you know the entire not just my family but like the, the entire colony just be ripped to shreds i probably just put a bullet in my head and get it done with yeah (laughs) yeah i know yeah like that's that's some real talk john (laughs) well i mean like the hope of getting off the fucking planet at that point is like gone yeah but i mean everything works towards newt advantage at least on that aspect she's small enough that she can go crawling through all the places Uh, my fat ass wouldn't be going through uh the air vents i can (laughs) tell you (laughs) now i I will say the the one thing from the director's cut that uh they did cut was showing newt's parents um they they showed life they kind of showed life on hadley's hope before uh the whole thing went to shit and you kind of got to see like a sort of a day in the life of and it segued into showing you uh it was actually newt's parents who found under burke's advisory found the derelict ship from alien and it's her dad is the one that comes back with the the face hugger i will admit that i think the movie was better served for having uh the those scenes cut from it i I totally agree i I don't need to see the the background no and it was it was fun it's yeah it's it's really fun to see uh you know all the stuff that's going on there but at the end of the day i think the movie works better having not ever seen that stuff Agreed. So was that inserted around now or was that actually brought up no, earlier? It was it was brought up earlier before or around the meeting that she had with Van Owen and all those other people uh, at, the, okay. at the company. See, it was yeah. there. That was it was like a huge I mean, it was like a, a seven or eight to ten minute scene that they that they cut. Gotcha. Well, that, that's that's the only spot I feel like it would make sense because yeah. right here there's too much kind of action and, and pressure and whatnot that if you had like a scene of that, I feel like it would be like eh, a little bit too on the nose, yeah. leading with stuff. At least with if it, if it had earlier, it makes some sense. But yeah, I agreed. I think that it totally makes, you know, it makes the the pacing better without it. All right. Yeah. Hudson finds a big clump of the colonists, and you know they've got apparently trackers on them using using his computer hacking skills. <laughs> and I love what he says when he when he finds them. He goes, uh, "Yo, stop your grinning and drop your linen." Found them. <laughs> yes, he does. Uh, so they head over to where they're at. And uh, they find like this, you know, weird alien looking kind of structure. Um, It kind of shows that, you know, these aliens aren't just one off little idiotic creatures so they're 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 building kind of structures within the human structures so there's one shot in the entire movie where you get to see the original hicks james remar who Mm -hmm. most people know from the warriors and so just a little backstory james remar was supposed to play hicks um he had a 
drug issue back in the day, and he was kind of, I, I believe I understand the way it goes, he was kind of a nightmare on set, he got fired, and Michael Bean came in, and the only shot that you see in the entire movie is, and I'm sure uh, uh, John saw this on the, on the making of, it's the shot where you kind of look down up from the ceiling, and it's all like alien cocoons, and the, the camera mm-hmm. kind of pans back. Now, Hicks is looking to the right. You can see James Remar's face a little bit, and then he kind of looks, and then it's just mostly his back at that point. The reason they kept that shot in, even as smooth and seamless as it looks, it's actually a composite shot. The The ceiling, it's not matte painting, but I think the ceiling is actually miniature. And they kind of, when they pan the camera down, the whole shot was too, it was too big for them to reshoot. And it was one they did early on. But it's, when you watch it, it actually, I, even now knowing it's a composite shot, does not look like one. But that is the only time that you can see James Remar as Hicks in the movie. All right. Interesting little factoid. So at this point, Ripley realizes that if they fire their weapons, they may explode everybody. It might be some basically nuclear reactor. And so Gorman tells them they're not allowed to fire their guns. Marines aren't allowed to fire their guns. Are you fucking kidding me? Yeah. Uh, Apone has to pull mags. It's like ridiculous. Fucking sucks. And who and who has to hold on to all the fucking mags? Frost. Fucking Frost. Poor, <laughs> poor, poor Frost. Poor fucking Frost. And I, I will think, I say Frost has the worst death in the entire movie. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but I do love that Vasquez has a couple spares and she gives one to her and Drake. And it just, it just kind of extra shows, it shows her extra hardness by like, you know what? I've got some fucking extras. You ain't, you know, I'm I'm not going to I'm not going to be pushed around and not shoot my gun. I'm a fucking badass. I'm Vasquez. And the cool thing is with the smart machine guns, they weren't handing over their ammo because the ammo wells are too big. They were basically handing over this firing mechanism that if you take it out, uh, it, it makes the whole weapon just does not work. And then, you know, which is an easy way just to kind of disable the weapon. But mm-hmm. her, she just ha- carries mo- multiples on her because they are a, a, you know, a functioning thing. They can burn out. So she just carries multiples and she just hands one to Drake and has one for herself, so fuck it. We're, we're good. Nice. I also like that Hicks has a shotgun uh, that he uses for close encounters. Mm-hmm. <laughs> nice, mm-hmm. little, nice little quote. We find some humans who've been put into cocoons, um, some eggs, you know, with the facehugger skeletons. So, like, this is breeding ground central. They see one person alive who, you know, intense scene, you know, this this really rips it Ripley because, you know, she's seen this shit before. Chest burster comes out. They have to flame throw that shit. Uh, it's, it's crazy. And then... That's when shit hits the fan. <laughs> that's when <laughs> shit hits the fan. I can, you know, the funny thing is that scene when the ladies, you know, has that chest burster moment. I revert to my eight year old self every time I watch that. Because, by the way, guys, my dad took me to see this in the theater, in the <laughs> fucking theater when I was eight years old because I asked him to because I wanted to see it. Um, but that scene terrified the fuck out of me and to this day i still like revert to that every time i watch it and it's not i mean it's not even that scary and gory but it's been imprinted on me it's disturbing it it is it is the one scene that actually bothered my daughter that makes sense i mean it is the most like horror scene in the entire movie you you have someone i mean granted we all know what's gonna happen because we've seen alien we've seen aliens but bajillion times but like and from seeing what ripley we know what's about to happen but when you see someone begging for their own death and them looking like you know there's no hope it's it is an unpleasant as way as you as you put it john disturbing is the only really way to to put that scene 
we now start to see these xenomorphs just kind of moving around everywhere and they're just they're just fucking picking out marines you know unfortunately oh. poor frost frost <laughs> well, gets up uh, so, pushed so, over the side oh you, well, you want to say <laughs> yeah i mean i i know every marine's death in order that they come in so <laughs> god so poor dietrich dietrich who's the medic the uh the other female marine she's the medic uh she gets picked up and and instinctually fires her flamethrower which just torches frost and who's holding yeah. all the ammo so he's all of a sudden running by screaming falls you know over the ledge i mean he's completely just engulfed in flames it's a it's a great stunt because yeah. uh, he just falls right over the edge and then that yeah that's when that's when vasquez is like let's rock and just starts lighting yeah. the place up let's rock great line with all the with all the chaos and everything that happens I, i'm sure you'll get to it but so basically, the the bag of ammo that Frost is carrying explodes, and through that explosion, it kills both. Well, it kills Crow, and then where's Bowski? Mm-hmm. It kind of like knocks him back. So here's one thing: when I was younger, Hicks yells, "Where's Bowski? Where's Bowski?" I always thought he was saying, "Where is Where is Bowski?" Yeah. Yeah, and it wasn't too. until it wasn't until I bought the West End, or no, I'm sorry, the Leading Edge uh, Aliens board game in 1989, and had all the Marines on there, and I saw, oh, his name is Where's Bowski? Oh my God! So I was like, okay, that was as a kid, I was like, oh, that's interesting. But yeah, Bowski kind of gets taken away, and and Crow's dead. Uh, sadly, Crow passed away a, a while ago. He he was a stunt man. I, I want to call it that you're just you're just not paying attention as a child because he says, "Where's Bowski? Where's Bowski?" And he's dang. And then they cut to a shot of his heart monitor yeah. that clearly says, yeah. "Where's Bowski?" Yeah. And that's where I realize it's like his name is Where's Bowski because you read it. You're and you're a hundred percent correct. And I do think that that uh, shows people what my attention span is. <laughs> but uh, unfortunately, um, both uh, the actors who played Crow and Where's Bowski have passed away uh crow yeah. it was a uh, uh he was a student they were both essentially kind of just stunt guys like they weren't you know i mean they were actors but they're more like stunt guys and crow uh died in a um like a parachuting accident and then uh where's bowski i believe passed away i believe as a heart thing a couple years ago mm. okay uh and unfortunately speaking of actors who have passed away i think the next death or at least the one that i have written down is Apo. Yeah, yeah. He gets yeah. taken out, and, and Al Matthews passed away 2018 fairly yeah. recently. Yep. Yeah, yeah, unfortunately, so. yeah. So, yeah, and, he, and, and at the end, and I think what they say later on is that Dietrich and Apone are not actually dead. They're being, like, cocooned, you know, but yeah. Yeah, true, true, true. So he's not, he's not actually dead. Um, Gorman is just, you know, again, he's never dealt with this kind of shit. He's never been out in the field, really. Um, he's just fucking shocked. He's, he can't pull them back. He can't think properly and so ripley has to take shit in her own hands and then she drives the tank busts through fucking walls and shit to go get them and i want to just call out the music that plays here when she's driving that tank is so fucking good it's like to me it's so iconic of just like fuck this shit i'm going in I love the score for this movie. I think it's absolutely amazing. Which Horner had like almost no time at all to write the score. Like it was listening to him talk about it. Like it's amazing he got the score done because they one like 
they didn't give him enough time to begin with, but then they kept changing the sequences of shots and not under, Ugh. and he was like, you can't do that because that I have to change the thing. And they were like, they weren't understanding. Like even Galen yeah. Hurd at one point says, well, fine, we'll, we'll find us a composer who will. And he says, please do. And when you do, <laughs> let me know who that person is because they are a better composer than I am. <laughs> See, okay. For, uh, I've, I've had to send, cause I, I've edited feature films and you have to send them to you edit the reels and uh, movies a lot of times are edited in reels basically like uh, 10 ish minute blocks yeah. you know at different times depending on the you know, sequences and once you have a locked reel you try to keep it as locked as possible meaning when you lock it the frame should be accurate to when you are doing editing or as close to as possible so that way you send it to your film score at the same time as you send it to special effects mm-hmm. uh, or to, to visual effects so that way they're all working at it at the same time um, with either previs graphics or whatever in it. So that way everybody can then come back with the finished products at the end and put it in. But with minor tweaks, if when you start, when you're editing and re-editing and you're unlocking reels is when fucking madness happens. And I can tell you <laughs> as an assistant editor, I had to deal with that all the time. And it was fucking awful. Like you're supposed to lock that shit, then send it to the, uh, to the musician or, or sorry, to the composer, to, gra- to graphics, etc. cetera. Um, because, and, and sound and whatever and color, all mm-hmm. that kind of shit, because they're all working on it simultaneously because then it comes back. And so when it, and when it's unlocked, then you're just wasting five different people's time. And that's why also, like, making a special edition, like with Star Wars, when you actually add footage in, or or even just this, Aliens, you know, they the, the director's, quote-unquote, director's cut came out in, I believe, 1990 uh, is when they put it together. Because what a lot of people don't, don't think about is, like, yeah, you can insert the footage, but you have to recompose the music to go mm-hmm. with it. Otherwise, they're just going to be blank spots without music because the music was composed for the theatrical cut. So people don't realize that, like, you have to go back and remix the music to to add those even even if it's just a couple seconds like in you know star wars you know the special editions or something john williams had to go in and actually make the music go further or whatever needed to be done and Mm. uh you know it's it's people forget how much stress is the 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 composers are under and a lot of times the composers are are doing these things at the end of it so they're under time constraints too but uh it's it's amazing uh horner turned in just an iconic score i mean Mm -hmm. how do you create something that's iconic like it just like is it is it only happened with time and when you look back on it but like all i can say is about this this music in this movie is just iconic this movie is just iconic from beginning to end yeah. Uh, all right. As they get into the tank, uh, Drake ends up getting. <laughs> I love how you call it a tank. It's 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 an APC. <laughs> it's an APC, but it looks like a little fucking mini tank. It does, and I wish we saw the guns on it actually fire because they have like the it has like the double guns on top, right? And, yeah. yeah. It's, uh, well, it's got right in the front. It's got like a little turret in the front, and then it's got the guns yeah, on the, like the back that kind of go up yeah. and down. It's oh man, God, yeah. it's sexy so. as hell looking. <laughs> Yes, all right. The APC. <laughs> Drake ends up getting splayed with acid. Um, I think it's because that's when Hicks had to do the shotgun. No, that no, right? that was um, no, no, that was later. Vasquez, that was later. Vasquez, which is yeah. it sucks. Uh, and 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 their their backstory is because uh, all the actors created backstories for their characters, and that includes all the um, the the stuff that they put on their armor, like like you know Hicks and Hutt. Well, Hicks no, because James Remar did it. But everyone else, everything they put on their armor and everything they put in their lockers were based on the character on the actor creating a backstory for their character. 
character. So, so like for example, Frost has a heart on his chest that has uh, says Heath. It's actually short for Heather. Um, that uh, Vasquez has a, a name that's on her forearm. That's a female name. That's actually her daughter's name or the character's daughter's name. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and Jeanette Goldstein talks about that on on the the interview on Podcast After Dark. But yeah, the the cool thing is they all like sort of gave themselves backstories and everything. And the backstory for Drake and Vasquez is that they were uh, both like in juvie. Like they basically grew up together, rough kids. They were in juvie. And instead of going to jail, like they did something together. Instead of going to jail, they they joined the military. Like that was what they were sort of forced to do. So, but Drake and Vasquez have been basically together since they were kids. And spoiler alert, Jeanette's Goldstein and uh, her best friend in real life is Mark Ralston, Drake. So basically, Vasquez and Drake are best friends in real life. Well, Drake is dead now uh, because he got split with acid, and so I'm sorry. <laughs> and, and by the way, if I ever have a dog, if I ever, whenever we have a dog, I, I'm going to name him Drake just so I can yell, Drake, we are leaving. <laughs> Well, yeah, poor bastard's dead. But I want to call out the shot as Hicks is shutting the door to the APC. We get just this awesome look of these alien, that, that xenomorph hands come in, start to pry the door open. Um, and then that's when he shoots it with the shotgun. Um, and acid kind of spills on Hudson, Hudson's arm. Yeah. Um, but it's just, to me, it's a really good looking shot. I mean, they have, they have a really good kind of like horror sound effect that plays... You know, like that kind of screech sound when the the, the the very creepy, skinny xenomorph fingers come in and it just starts praying. It's just like, oh, my God, you're all fucked. That's one of my favorite shots in the entire movie. And it's it always it always makes me jump. It always makes me jump just because yeah. it's, it's so it's so effectively done. It's so well done. Uh, all right. So, yeah, Hudson's arm's been been acidized. Um, Gorman gets knocked out like a like a punk that he is. And fair <laughs> enough, he gets, he gets something dropped on his head. Fine. No, no one's real worried about that. <laughs> no, right no one cares. <laughs> uh, so now uh, I love, you know, so Ripley's driving the APC and she has to run over the tank or run over, run over an alien and, and shit like that. And they bust out of the complex. Holy shit. That was a intense scene that we just got done with. <laughs> And man, can I just say how good of a job James Cameron does of like shooting miniatures and then, you know, inserting them in. Mm-hmm. You can never tell when it's a freaking miniature versus a, a full size set. He just, well, I guess that's also the cinematographer too, right? I mean, uh, yeah. Right? Like it is the, the like how good of like miniature shots. I mean, that's got to be the cinematographer, but yes. man, yeah. it's yeah, good. Yeah, exactly. You're going to have to light that properly. It's there's a lot of yeah. And also there's special effects people involved with all that shit oh as well. Oh my god. It's just I am watching it dude and like, you know, for for better or worse, I mentioned earlier, you know, actually noticing the the shin armor on those like minor guys because of the whole 4K HD bullshit. <laughs> for the worse, for for better or worse and, and the worst aspect is I saw all the cords holding all the aliens up you know <laughs> but I, you know who gives a fuck right but like i'm still amazed at how good the miniature shit looks like i yeah. sometimes can't even tell when it's a miniature and when it's not it's just it's so well done in especially when the the drop ship is coming into the atmosphere earlier i love that shot when the drop ship's coming in uh all right so you know ripley gets far enough away uh you know she <laughs> hicks kind of calms her down a little bit and they kind of stop um Ease down, ease down. Yeah, ease down. You're just grinding gears. <laughs> uh, you're, you're blowing a transaxle, whatever yeah, he says. Yeah. Uh, Ripley wants to nuke the entire fucking place from orbit, but Burke, 
you know, the man from the company doesn't think they should just blow up the company property that easily. Hicks, who's now in charge, thanks to uh, Gorman being knocked out. I I do love the call that Burke gives him. He said, this is a multi-million dollar installation, okay? He can't make that kind of decision. He's just a grunt. No offense. And then Hicks' response, uh, none taken. I mean, he is just a grunt. He's a good grunt. Yeah. He's good at he's he's good at what he does, but he is just a grunt. Um, and he kind of ultimately says, "No, we're going with Ripley's plan. We're going to nuke this fucking place." So uh, the pilot and Spunkmeyer start to head towards them for a pickup, uh, but <laughs> the alien comes uh, is on board apparently, and guess what? They're fucked. Um, I always love for some reason. I always her call <laughs> the way that you said her mention of. Whatever the hell it was earlier. Uh, where, where's the uh, damn beacon? Yeah, I, I like her Spunkmeyer. Spunkmeyer, god damn it. Yes, exactly. The way she calls Spunkmeyer. <laughs> damn it. God damn it. <laughs> Just, that always kind of stuck in my head. Because there's an alien on board. They're fucked, and they kind of crash on the way to for the pickup. Can I just say, that poor alien did not know he was on a suicide mission. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. That poor bastard. <laughs> At this point, Hudson becomes... The whiny bitch we know and love him as. <laughs> like, like, game over, man. Game over. That's it, man. Game over, man. It's game over. What the fuck are we going to do now? What are we going to do? Oh, <laughs> another great line from him. Uh, but, like, yeah, this is kind of like, he, was, he went from, like, sarcastic, kind of cocky douche to, oh, uh, everything is fucked. And he is, he's, he's, he's a goner. <laughs> God, I mean, it's crazy. I love it. And and uh, John, how how did your your daughter like? And and like at this point, were they engaged by by the movie and your, your kids? Okay, so my daughter, the very first time we watched it, and I even sent, I think I've even mentioned this on this podcast once before. Maybe not. The very first time we watched it, my daughter fell asleep thirty minutes into it because the first part of it is. <laughs> kind of boring and not boring yeah, yeah. but you know for a kid it was boring so yeah. we, so we missed the whole she missed the whole back half all of it all the exciting yeah. stuff so okay. later we went back in and watched just the back half of the movie she was once we started it was basically we started you know right before they the marines land like right when the marines landed so yeah. from there on out she was fairly engaged but the very first time she was not so engaged also it was late <laughs> when we started watching it it was already like close mm-hmm. to their bedtime so she was already tired so yeah, uh, that, that that makes sense. <laughs> Speaking of bedtime, uh, Newt recommends they go inside uh, because I love her little quote of... Uh, we better get back because it'll be dark soon and they mostly come at night. Mostly. They mostly come out at night. <laughs> mostly. <laughs> That was a great segue. Speaking of bedtimes, <laughs> and I knew where you were going with it. I was like, that killed me before you even said it. <laughs> Thanks to Hudson, they kind of get some uh, computer uh, maps of the structure, and they create a plan of um, where to kind of seal themselves off, um, kind of where to hold up, you know, waiting for evac, because apparently evac might take up to 17 days. Uh, and so they make that happen. Uh, Hicks gives Ripley a uh, tracking device, and that'll kind of come back to us later. Uh, Ripley puts Newt down to bed and she gives her that tracker. You know, Newt's afraid of being alone. I always hated this line uh, where Ripley says, I'm not going to leave you, Newt. That's a promise. And then Newt replies, do you promise? Mm. I'm like, what the bitch? What did she just say? (laughs) She just said that's a promise. And why are you asking? Is that a promise? I mean, are you fucking kidding me? I am not going to lie to you. I honed in on that exact same piece of dialogue <laughs> when I was watching it the other night. And I was like, 
Huh. I wonder if that was like her, like the kid's mistake or something. But I was like, that's just bad dialogue right there. Yeah. Or did the did the editor fuck yeah. up or something? And, like what and, happened? And I mean, come on, this is a movie that's pretty damn near flawless. There's not a lot of goofs in yeah. it. So you know, when it's like that, you're like, okay, that was a little weird, but sure, I'll let that slide. But dude, I, I totally honed in on that one as well. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, Ripley talks to Bishop, and uh, she wants to know, you know. What are laying these eggs? You know, the the, the face huggers are, are hatching from. Burke wants the face huggers kept alive and used for bio warfare. Which you know, this is like the first. You know, we 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 didn't we started to not like Burke um, when he kind of mentioned and putting the company property over the lives. Yeah. But here he's one hundred percent going against the whole idea of what Ripley's even there for now, um, and he wants to actively one. He says, "Oh, I'm I'm." want to keep them alive and two we can sell them to our weapons division and it's like oh shit all right fuck you this is not good people are dead burke people are dead it was a bad call ripley a bad call (laughs) but we also find out that burke was the one who sent the people to colonize this place in the first place so it's a it's a real good use that you know it's not just the aliens here that are the villain man is also the villain. Yes. yes <laughs> Think about that. Ooh. That's deep. <laughs> uh, all right. So they also have some other problems going on here. Uh, the place is about to blow in four hours. Yeah. Um, from all of the crashing and the firing and the shit that's been going on. You know, basically they set off that big fucking nuclear explosion that they were talking about. Um, and so it'll be happening in about four hours from now. So they're not going to last the four, the 17 days uh, that they thought the church are going to get the evac. So now they have to try and get the other ship that is, um, you know, up on like the uh, the one that's floating up in orbit sent down so they can hopefully get out of there. Uh, but they need to send someone outside to get the to the dish to the, you know, satellite dish to go remote pilot the ship. Can I just inter- interject something? Uh, uh, the one thing that people kind of like sort of harp on is that like why would you ever dispatch every member of your team down to the planet and the fact that there's like no backup people like on Mm. the Salako and I get it totally logically that makes sense why would you do that and and then you know movie wise it makes sense why you did it you know this way and uh yeah I I personally never had a problem with it but I I can see why it would kind of fluster some people did you guys ever did did that you guys ever care about that was it never anything you cared about i'm not a military mind so not once did i even <laughs> think of that i i don't that's not my i don't know proper strategy yeah I, so i was just like uh, didn't yeah. didn't bother me once i never even thought that that was an issue until you just said something yeah john john did that ever bother you at all i mean i thought it was unusual but i mean this is this is a time and place that we know nothing about and maybe this is you know the modus operandi for yeah, the military at the time, and this all thing. I did. I did think it was weird that Ripley agreed to go down to the planet because mm. if I had been traumatized like that, I'd be like, "Listen, I'll stay up here. You can <laughs> yeah. go down uh, there. Yeah. <laughs> I'll advise <laughs> from up top. I'll advise from up here. I, you got yeah. the cameras. You got all the cameras, yeah. so I can I can watch it. Uh, yeah, no. And and the funny thing is, I mean, honestly, as automated as things are becoming today, it actually makes sense that that everything on the ship would just be automated, but under that same idea is I, I think that the dropship then would also be able to be automated to come down, you know, if it was the future mm-hmm. that we're living in now. But yeah, yeah, it never bothered me too much, but I just wanted to address it because I know that it's something that people talk about online. 
with the movie. Gotcha. And the funny thing is, it's because I believe there's not a lot of things that you can really sort of harp <laughs> on about this film. So, you know, people got to harp on something. Haters got to hate. So Bishop volunteers uh, to go out and remote pilot the ship from the dish. To get there, though, he has to go through this pipe. And I'm not going to lie. I always I'm not a claustrophobic guy. But when you get that shot of him just like kind of shoulder crawling through that super tight pipe, I'm just like, oh, shit, that is uh, I, I couldn't do that. My, uh, I, my wife hated that scene. Sorry, John. What were you going to say? I am claustrophobic. And that scene is my nightmare. Yeah. Yes, dude, dude. I'm I, I'm probably in between you guys, and yeah, it's it's my nightmare too. But my wife just freaking she hates that scene. She she watched it with mm-hmm. me. She she loves the movie, um, but that scene she almost barely can't watch it. I think she's like you, John. She's just like, oh god, no. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then we get a next scene of Hicks. Uh, giving Ripley a little lesson on the uh, M41A pulse rifle, and they're kind of some, you know, some light flirtation going on right here. Um, I like that they have light flirtation, but I also really, really like they don't they don't really take it any farther yeah. with that. I don't I don't want that. I don't need that. Yeah, yeah. and then and they don't have time for it. Uh, Ripley heads to see Newt, and we now see that Gorman's awake. Um, yay, he's he's <laughs> back alive. I don't care. Yay, um, <laughs> exactly. Ripley falls asleep uh, next to Newt um, under the bed, and then we get a quick little scene of Bishop. You know, he's he crawled his way through, and now he's starting to prep the other dropship. We then cut to Ripley waking up, and she's noticed that one of the canisters holding the face huggers that was alive has been released into the room yeah and they're locked in there fucking burke <laughs> fucking burke man <laughs> fucking burke uh ripley eventually realizes she's a smart fucking cookie i would never have thought of this i i can honestly tell you everybody out there i never would have thought of this i would have been screaming against the glass until i died from the face hugger <laughs> i never would have thought about setting off the fire sprinkler thing yeah, she, she uses her lighter, and that gets the attention of Hicks and everybody, where, you know, they bust through the glass, and, and Hicks very uh, dramatically, they shoot the glass, and then he leaps through it, um, but, you know, he's a very kind of heroic kind of dude. And and since there's there's actually two facehuggers in there... Um, yes, I was, I was gonna, I was gonna, yeah, I did jump a little bit ahead, but it was a great little scene, though, a little shot that, you know, you think is just that one, and then while Newt is backing away, you see this other kind of facehugger puppet kind of crawling up behind her and and then she has to turn and creep but it's like the second you see it kind of moving you're like oh fuck yeah because <laughs> you only see the one canister you don't realize that it was it was both of them but i always find it a little sweet that um that newt called for hudson like she, she didn't say like help or something she's like hudson mm-hmm. and i was like oh that was that's actually kind of sweet you know i don't know maybe it could be stupid but i liked it hudson gets to have a little hero moment yeah, he yeah he gets to have a little hero moment before you know he buys the farm later. <laughs> yeah, she does. Yeah, exactly. You know he he has his he gets a little too amped up while he's shooting the thing. <laughs> he, he he wastes a lot of ammo on that one facehugger. I've always thought that. I've always thought that like wow because they tell you how much ammo they have left. Yeah. And, and I always thought that it was like holy shit he he wasted a lot killing that facehugger. <laughs> Exactly. I mean, Hicks only did like one or two pulses, and he got him. Hudson's going like, grr, grr, yeah, come on, motherfucker, I'm gonna get you. And like, it's just like, whoa, calm down, yeah. my man. One hundred percent agreed. <laughs> but you know what? At this point, I don't know which species is worse. You know, Burke, I don't know which species is worse. You don't see them fucking each other over for a goddamn percentage. And I just want to say, so fucking true. Yeah, yeah. No, she's she's not wrong. I mean, it's. 
I mean, we could, we could, we could talk so much about how we're, we're basically heading towards an alien sort of future. I mean, I've always joked we're the, that once yeah, we, we're the parasites on this planet. Well, well I was going to say, like, we, I mean, once we start colonizing planets at some point, they will, it will be by corporations, not by like, you know, uh, countries. It'll be corporations. And it, this movie yeah. is insanely accurate. Yeah. Uh, all right. So then power gets cut. Um, which is kind of interesting because like even Hudson kind of calls out like how they cut the power they're just fucking animals man exactly then they're just fucking animals which you know we get some contradictory things that you know is some part of the alien lore in this film not contradictory things but like things that you assume they're just dumb ant like kind of creatures who are just fucking idiots but there's there's an intelligence with them and I'd say particularly within the hierarchy that they have. Mm-hmm. Um, that we'll get to uh, come a little bit later. So now they have to go, you know, they, they have to hunt for the aliens because all the power's cut. They got to figure out some shit and sc- more scary use of the motion detectors at this point. You know, the, the aliens are kind of coming towards them. Um, they have to seal this big fucking door, you know, but there's still movement. There's still movement coming up. It's closer and closer. What the fuck's going on? Then they check the ceilings. Oh, shit. That's another great scary horror scene when you just see them kind of coming through like the drop ceilings and these aliens are just crawling towards you. Holy God. And I love how Hicks just like falls backwards shooting. Like, you know what I mean? Like he's so startled that he's just like falling backwards firing. We get a whole big firefight um, going on. Uh, I'm not going to go through the the action stuff scene by scene, Um, but Hudson or sorry, but Burke ends up, you know, kind of running away. He shuts the door on them. You know, again, he's a villain. He's not a good guy. We don't like him at this point. Um, Seriously. Fuck that guy. Hudson then eats it. Uh, You know, he gets, uh, he gets one that takes him through the floor and it pulls him down and he's trying, you know, he's, he doesn't make it. No, (laughs) but he goes, he goes down fighting. He doesn't go out. He doesn't go out like like the little bitch he was acting like before. Oh, you want some of this? Fuck you! Ah! Fuck you! True. He goes out like a champ. So they now have to like kind of cut through the floor uh, or cut through the door. They have to cut through the door to kind of get out where uh, Burke had kind of locked it before. Um, but. We get a little bit of satisfaction here where Burke had locked them out and he goes in this direction. He gets fucking killed by kind of a random alien that was over there. And I I kind of suspect he actually got grabbed and cocooned later. Oh, probably. You know what? Very likely. Because that's that's like their main objective is to grab you and cocoon you. So Ripley and them escape via, I almost said escaping. (laughs) 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 Fucking fucking finding Nemo. What the hell? Uh, So Ripley and uh, and the rest of the group, they escape via the air duct with Newt guiding them um, as they go through the ducts. You know, we have these aliens following them. Like this is another fucking intensive scene uh, where Vasquez gets hit with acid at one point, you know, when she's kind of being surrounded by them and has to shoot them. I mean, like her, her bat, like she's so badass that like, like she's moving through the the tunnels and like one kind of comes from above and she like shoots it and then like shoves her foot, like her, and she shoves her boot like in its face and like pushes its face against the wall and like, you know, shoots it. It's pretty badass, but unfortunately uh you know acid spills on her ankle and i mean they don't show it but god she if she survived she would have lost that ankle and that foot oh yeah 
it's such a well done scene. Like there's the fast, this everything is fast paced, but you see what's going on. It's super intense. Great music as well going here. That's just keeping you kind of heart pumping. Um, and the aliens are kind of like spinning around as they're moving through the tunnels. It's it's just oh my god, it's so weird and freaky that it's it's cool. It's really really effective. Yeah. Gorman goes back to try and help Vasquez, and we get a, a nice little kind of not quite redemption from Gorman, but you know, I find it kind of almost poetic where you get the hardest person in the entire you know infantry group here, and then the person who is probably one of the softest and you know new newbie person who is the leader. They kind of go out together where she's got a little um, explosive in her hand that they go off and they set it off and take you know the aliens that are surrounding them with them. But Gorman sets it off, not Vasquez. Gorman, well, yeah, whatever. <laughs> Gorman sets it up. They they wrap it around each other, but it's yeah. still, yeah. it's poetic. It's fucking poetic, John. <laughs> you always were an asshole, Gorman. Which I I didn't. I never really cared for that line because he's brand new to the team. So like the always, I I didn't really get that. Uh, you're dude. You're I always harped. I always harped <laughs> on that line too because she didn't know him long enough. I think she just said, you know, you're an asshole, Gorman, but you're all right in my book, or you know, right before they explode or something. But yeah, I'm with you. But then I this is the first time I ever looked at it from this point of view, though. I was like, you know what? If they if Gorman wasn't selfish in in killing himself like that, Newt would not have fallen into the hole from the concussion of the blast, mm-hmm. and they all and 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 Ripley and Hicks and Newt would have gotten out just fine so yes uh. gorman and vasquez went out like heroes but if they had not then our actual protagonists uh would have survived better that is interesting you know what i didn't kind of make that chain of effects or chain of events uh connection in my head so i like that um yeah as you put it newt falls down this sewer slide thing or whatever and, and, uh, and my wife's like she couldn't have stayed in the jacket at all <laughs> <laughs> true <laughs> um, i mean she comes ripley. out really like super, yeah right out of it <laughs> uh ripley and hicks use the tracker that they uh, previously put on her to go find her um but newt has been taken a uh, really great great scene um by a xenomorph before they can intensely try and cut through the floor great shot of you know she's you know in this kind of sewer area and just a scream ripley uh and then the xenomorph comes up behind her and it's just like oh that is a great shot. Apparently, yeah. uh, the first AD who was shooting that scene was so concerned with Carrie Hinn um, not being in cold water that he forced uh, someone to be there 24 hours a day to maintain the water temperature to make sure it was warm. <laughs> wow. <laughs> and, so the person just kind of peed in there every like <laughs> hour. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> but I'm... <tsh. laughs> and apparently, I think in interviews, they always ask if she was scared in that scene. And uh, I don't... I, I She said something about like, no, like the, the guy in the, the... Basically, the stuntman in the alien suit and her would just kind of like goof off together and so she was always like no the aliens were kind of just all my friends because i knew you know like i knew them they were just the stunt guys so i was like oh that's kind of cute like picturing the guy in the full alien costume like kind of goofing with her before the shot you know think about this she had no acting experience at all none they literally found her at her school Yeah, and Galen Hurd said that every child they, that who had acting experience in that area was mostly had mostly done commercials, so they would do a line and then they would smile afterwards because that's what what they were used to doing. <laughs> and she's like, she's like, we we couldn't untrain these kids, so they just found somebody who didn't act at all, and she basically just trained her what to do as she went through it. Basically, you know, great on the job training. 
Yeah, yeah. And, and I will – I mean, I'll never say that Newt is like – the best kid actor or, or best kid character I've ever seen in a movie. Mm-hmm. But yeah, knowing that she had no pri- previous experience is pretty impressive, what she pulled off in this film. Mm-hmm. Yeah, wholeheartedly agree on, on both accounts. So Ripley and Hicks head to the hangar. Um, but as they go, you know, they're obviously fighting aliens. He ends up getting pretty burned with acid himself. Actually, really bad. You know, when they get into the elevator, I didn't think it was going to be all that bad when he get burned. And then when he comes out, he looks like, Walking Death. Yeah. <laughs> I noticed. It's like, oh, shit. Hicks does not look good. Yeah. And in the comics, because um, Dark Horse kind of, uh, uh, they do, you know, their series of Aliens comics back in the 90s, they uh, kind of pick up after Aliens, and they kind of follow Hicks and Newt, and uh, his the whole side of his face is, like, all burnt and everything. Mm-hmm. And it's funny, because I'm, I'm watching it. Knowing, you know, I read all the Aliens comics as a kid, and they really emphasized how burned his face was. And then I'm watching it here, and I'm like, it didn't really seem like it got that burned, you know. It was all, like, in his armor. Like, his armor took the brunt of the of the, of the the blast, which is which was nice. But, yeah, Hicks definitely gets fucked up. Uh, so they make it to the hangar. Uh, Bishop picks them up with the plane. <laughs> the tank and the plane. The, well, it's a plane. It's a dropship. It's a dropship. God damn it. It's a dro- I said drop. It's a God, fuck you. Um, fuck you and fuck this. Ripley's not leaving. <laughs> Dude, you're killing it today, buddy. You're killing she, it. She wants to get Newt. Uh, and I do kind of, you know what? I mean, they don't really mention a lot of the Ripley's daughter stuff without the director's cut. And so having some of that. Those more of those elements in there, I think, does kind of uh, emphasize the attachment that she gets to Newt um, a little bit quicker, and uh, you know, it, it really kind of makes that bond a little stronger. Yeah, and it, it, as much as I love the director's cut, I think if you had to cut most of the stuff from it, I would want you to at least keep the Amanda Ripley stuff. I want you to at least keep the scenes with, about you know Ripley's daughter, and it's because it's it's truly central to like what her character, her motivation right now. It's it's yeah. to get this like kid back and everything, especially since you know she, you find out that her daughter was eleven when she left her in the director's cut. The scene when she finds out that her daughter's died at like whatever age you know she was like I, you know i promised her i'd be home for her 11th birthday and she kind of breaks down but you're like holy fuck that her daughter lived without her since she was 11 years old you know so and of course that's right perfect age for newt and everything it was i wish they just at least kept the the yeah. the, the daughter stuff in there i would agree i would agree. it would, would have tied that a lot better ripley goes out to you know she's <laughs> she's preparing for war and we get a great set up as she is um getting ready to go down uh you know to just load herself up to get uh, to fuck up all these aliens like there's some awesome elevator scenes i'm not saying this is the best one but i'm thinking like between the elevator scenes out there that i can think of off the top of my head i think of welcome to the party pal from die hard <laughs> while he's like you know i think of the blues brothers as they're kind of going up with yeah. uh, while all the the hut 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 is going around them i think of big trouble in little china um oh, while they're kind of going down and they're all kind of oh, this feeling pretty good <laughs> i love that scene <laughs> ghostbusters what about when they fire up the proton pack for the first uh time? yes that's a great that's a, that's a great elevator scene right there uh, they all kind of step away from ray that's a great isn't that what that one is mm-hmm. yep but ripley just loading everything up into her fucking like she's got like a, a strap on thing, you know, where all the um, uh, different magazines are. She's like taping fucking guns together. She's getting shit set up to the nines to fuck up every alien she can to save Newt. And it's a it's a awesome little scene. And I will say this. 
there is an announcement overhead that the generator whatever is going to be destroyed in 15 minutes Mm -hmm. and i've never done this before i set my stopwatch right then and there and i didn't pause it you know until until the thing exploded and i'll tell you when it explodes what the time was reading on the stopwatch Okay. All right. We'll get to that. Ooh, I can't wait. <laughs> so uh, we do get, I just want to call out when Ripley gets off the elevator, you get a fantastic like hero shot uh, of mist going away, um, her kind of stepping out of the elevator and her just looking so badass with the elevator and her guns ready, or sorry, with the, uh, the flamethrower and the guns ready. I don't know. I, to me, that is just a it's an iconic hero-looking shot when she kind of gets ready to go out. I love how you can see the the pipes are so hot that they're like like orange or red, like like yep. light is emanating from them. And I, when I was younger, I never really picked up on that, but I was like, oh shit, that's really freaking cool because the the pipes are just melting essentially. Mm-hmm. This yep. whole place is melting down, and I love the look of it. It it doesn't it looks. It looks like a factory. Like it never looks like this, like clean, pristine, futuristic thing. Mm-hmm. It looks like a just a, a, a piecemealed factory, and it's it's amazing. Set design off the charts. Off here. the charts. Well, they they shot a lot of the uh, the colony stuff in an abandoned power plant. Oh yeah, makes sense. Uh, all right, so Ripley makes her way to the hive area. Uh, she finds Newt using uh, the tracker, but. Newt screams. Oh, wait, well, she doesn't really find it. She finds the tracker from the tracker thing. And then Newt screams, and then she finds her. She fucks up this face hugger, <laughs> um, you know, that she gets, uh, and some other aliens, and she gets Newt out of the cocoon. As they head out, they find this field of eggs. So this is answering that question that Ripley had earlier. Of, what the fuck is laying all these eggs? We see the fucking queen. Great piece of alien, like, canon and lore that they incorporate with the queen alien really tying in like just just the way that this um, species behaves very similar. Like I, I kind of, you know, obviously put them towards similar enough to ants or something like that, mm-hmm. um, where you have the drones, which are the ones that we've seen the, the regular xenomorphs heading out and either killing people or dragging shit, bringing it back in for the queen to impregnate or, you know, to, to cocoon and et cetera and pregnate. And then this queen who is just overarching massive fucking dominating type of alien and it's really cool it really it's just like okay shit was like here and now just fucking went up a goddamn (laughs) whole 10 notches right now yeah and i i love the sound design in this scene because you kind of can only hear the queen breathing and it's so loud and everything's just Mm -hmm. kind of quiet but this is also when you get the idea that these alien creatures are a little bit smarter than you think they are because you know she ripley basically shows oh i got a flamethrower don't fuck with me and the queen's like okay i see that the 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 drones the warriors sort of back away because they're like okay okay because they she's she's sort of telling them you know we don't know how she she gets she gets like a nod or something to them and yeah i mean this queen she is something special yeah and because when they start and and, and so like you know i don't mean to be stepping on your toes but when they start like backing out and everything it's a like the fact that the queen could recognize that the flamethrower was like a danger she also understands what like subterfuge is and like like being slick and sly because the queen just kind of pops one egg open you know hoping that ripley wouldn't see it but i love (laughs) i love that look that ripley gives where she's like oh i i see what you're doing you know i love that but yeah the the queen has some intelligence man exactly and that's that's exactly what my note here is um there's something elevated 
with at least with with her and we're still going to see more of it as well but you know where everyone thought and especially in that first movie and how all the grunts thought ah oh, this is just a bug hunt these are just dumb aliens now we're really seeing that there is an entire hierarchy and intelligence structure within the xenomorph species yeah. so it's cool ripley she don't give any fucks. Mm-mm. So <laughs> she when she when she's her and Newt are kind of at a safe distance, she fucking torches all those eggs. She fucking like torching the queen. She's just like, fuck this shit. Now it is madness. The queen eventually breaks free from her little like kind of hatchery butt thingy <laughs> uh, and ma- makes her way, you know, off. Ripley and Newt are starting to head back towards the ship. But the queen is obviously following them. She's pissed. You know, the queen understands revenge (laughs) at this point. (laughs) I love it. Yeah, the queen's like, fuck you. I'm coming for you. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, yeah. And she queen also understands how elevators work, too. (laughs) Exactly. That's another thing. Like, Ripley takes the elevator up. And so, like, any other, like, you know, person would be like, okay, that's the end of that. At first, she's like, okay, fuck you, Bishop. I thought you were going to be here. Because at this point, not to say that we, we think... I I, th- I never really thought Bishop was going to go haywire no. like the first um, Android and Alien, but they I think with this point they kind of try to make that like oh wait did that happen? They were playing with it for sure. Yeah, but obviously it didn't. Um, and then we see that the Queen fucking knows how to take the elevator up. This is awesome. Again, showing that the species isn't dumb to technology. They know how to cut fucking power. They know how to. Use an elevator. So right as Bishop comes back with the ship, they get in there and they start making it back to the bigger ship. You know, just before LV-426 lights up <laughs> in nuclear style explosion. It's fucking fuck LV-426. That shit is gone. Woo! And we won. The movie's over, guys. And guess what? That explosion, when they call it at 15 minutes, that explosion happens 14 and some odd change, which is pretty oh. damn good for for a movie because there's nothing i hate more than when they say oh there's three minutes left until the bomb explodes and clearly 10 minutes of the movie happens no i was shocked that it was actually pretty fucking on point uh all right so we're all good it's over they're back into the the big orbit ship everything's good bishop explains kind of you know why he had to leave the platform but then Comes the queen. He gets lifted up. And in a hold very... On. Oh, hold on. And and then queen takes bishop. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> wow. I, I wish I wish I would have thought of that. Damn it. <laughs> bishop, you know, he's spitting his milky kind of bloody, not whatever, the, the liquid inside of him. He gets ripped in fucking... Ripped in twain. <laughs> okay. I got to admit... When I was younger, when I was a kid, uh, in my teens, you know, <laughs> back when I had free time to just goof off in the shower and not care because I didn't have a million fucking responsibilities to do, I would... I don't want to hear about what you do in the shower, Corey. <laughs> I, would, I just do not. I would put water in my mouth and I would pretend I was Bishop just kind of <laughs> like spitting it out. God. <laughs> Wow. Why? Why? Because because uh, when you're young, you've got no responsibilities. <laughs> That's why. Oh, those are the good times. Oh, um, man. Again, the queen is a smart fucking bug. You know, she stowed away on the ship. Um, also kind of shows these aliens, they can live in, they don't need atmosphere. You know, they, they can just kind of like... Attach, or you know, they're they're all right in, in a lot of different situations. But and you're actually you're you're 100 correct. They do not. They can actually survive in space, according to um the the Dark Horse comics. They do not need air, and they will not like. So when she gets sucked out later, she actually will survive that. Right now, it is Queen versus Ripley. Fuck. 
Uh, and it's not looking good for Ripley. Newt has to kind of run under the floorboards, try and hide herself. Uh, Ripley ends up locking herself away in a storage room. So the queen is going after Newt in the floorboards. Then all of a sudden, one of the best reveals in the entire movie, Ripley comes out in the loader and she says, get away from her, you bitch. Now, before you guys add to this, I just want to call out. I mentioned setup number one with Ripley talking about her, you know, are we seeing her working with the construction crew? Setup number two, Ripley working with the loader, um, you know, to help the Marines. This is the payoff. This is a perfect use of the uh, rule of third or, you know, rule of three in writing where you have setup, reinforcement and payoff. And with this shot of Ripley coming out on the loader, it's so magnificently done because we're we've seen her use this loader before and we know how good she is and now we're like oh fuck she has a fighting chance man and can we just talk about like how cool the power loader is and just how well <laughs> they pulled off the effect of it you know like it's it's i mean my god I, you don't see anything even like it to today you know it, it it's mm-hmm. it's this very unique thing that exists in aliens and and it's again iconic at this point but it's so freaking cool. Like, like John, like, what was your, like, did your daughter uh, resonate with, with uh, Newt or with uh, Ripley in, in this whole scenario thing? Uh, I wish I could give you a really good answer, but uh, I, I didn't really get much out of her. It's it. I, I don't have a kid, so I'm like I'm intrigued by like how you know the the perception of this and how, how this like uh, played out for. Well, her, and remember, remember, she's only seven. So and I and I saw it only a year basically older than her, you know. So I, I'm 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 yeah. weirdly sort of connecting <laughs> to to her right now, you know. <laughs> God, you stay away from my niece, you motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> but I do want I want to call out. It is particularly interesting that James Cameron has created two of the absolute most badass women in all of action films with Ripley and with Sarah Connor. It, 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 I, I don't think that's a, um, you know, a mistake because, you know, he, he knows how to write strong action women. And these two, if you put them in a fight, I don't fucking know who would win. I, Sarah Connor's probably more military trained, but Ripley is so intelligent and intuitive on her feet <laughs> uh, that it's, oh, God damn, that would be a good fight. You know what? You put them two in a fight, they're going to fight the person that put them in a fight. They're, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. They're, they're so fucking good. Adam, we do know who would win in a fight because uh, as a patron of the Dynamic Duel podcast, I got to request a duel, and one of them was Sarah Connor versus Ellen Ripley. Unfortunately, Sarah Connor won most of the fights because she just has a lot more military training. That makes sense. And that makes sense, but I, I don't think they put... The uh, how how well Ripley uh, thinks on her feet and how how, you know, uh, intuitive she is into that fight. If I, I might have to challenge that. But granted, I'm hot. I'm hot off the heels of aliens. If I go watch <laughs> T2 right now, I might be like, fuck, yes, yeah, Sarah Connor's going to fucking kill this. She's she does one arm pull ups. That's intense. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, all right. They have a great little hand-to-hand battle. It's, it's, I call it great. It is kind of has some slow motion because it's a big fucking power loader that she's moving. (laughs) Um, but it's, it's still, it's well choreographed. I like it. The thing I really like is that snapping mouth that comes out of the queen. Like that is, I mean, another iconic fucking thing that they added to that one character that now you think about that snap, like that is so fucking alien. 
Yeah, and I mean, and the queen's accuracy with her tail and everything, like she almost gets Ripley at one point. Ripley's got to move her head. It's it's a fantastically shot scene because it incorporates both like like miniatures and uh, the, like there are multiple puppeteers. John, I know you saw this in in the documentary, but mm-hmm. how they got the the queen to like move, like there's like t- essentially there's like two guys in there, and there's like one guy's left arm is doing this arm, and the other guy's arm is doing in that arm it's it's crazy it's almost like it's like job of the hut how they brought him to life how there's like multiple mm. people inside of it and everything but just the the test footage on how they they did the queen was was remarkable i mean it's just it's so it's so good he just james Cameron does a great job of shooting these effects and and shooting them well or you know him and the dp do essentially and god i can, I can only yep. imagine this movie would not have succeeded if it did, if it, ha- I'm thinking if it had the original DP because the, the the way this movie looks and the the just the how he filmed these miniatures and these aliens, it's it's all pretty much flawless. You know, it's it's fantastic. Mm-hmm. Like I said before, I've I saw a few chords here and there, but I don't blame the filmmakers. They didn't know there was going to be 4K HD Blu-ray TVs. <laughs> you know, like when mm-hmm. this movie originally came out, and uh, I, I don't blame them for that. It's who gives a shit. It's yeah. it's this is amazing. This is this is filmmaking masterclass right here i mean my only pushback is shooting on 35 mil uh that's more than that's just as good as 4k or better (laughs) so i you know wouldn't really say that they wouldn't know that good high resolution is a thing well they i don't think they knew that home high resolution was going to be that way for people to analyze things the way they do now Yeah, yeah but when you when you make a movie you don't think about when you're making a big feature film like that you don't think yeah. about the home box office you think about you know people going to see it in the film uh i will say nowadays they do think about the home box office y- yes nowadays but, but yeah, that's what i'm saying back then it did, they, that's what i'm saying back in the 86 they had no fucking clue that like people would be able to like rewind and analyze this film like at minutia yeah you true, know? true 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 all right moot point let's move on um okay. <laughs> or as they say in friends it's a moo point moo oh my god why would you bring up friends <laughs> All right, let's get back to aliens. We don't have very much left. Um, <laughs> Ripley, you know, she she fights off with the queen. Just like in Alien, she ends up opening up the airlock and she sucks that fucker out of it. Just, you know, pretty much very similar to Alien. Uh, some intense stuff. I always love that scene where she has to hold on with her fucking elbow, oh, yeah. you know, uh, grasping that ladder. And it's just like, oh, my God, you feel like it's going to rip off. And it yeah. looks like it. Yeah. It looks like it hurts, so. man. It just looks like that whole thing hurts. Um, but the queen ends up getting sucked out of the airlock. It's fucking done. Holy shit. That was just an insane ride that we went on. I want to call out. There's a line I don't love. You know, when Newt and Ripley embrace, you specifically hear Newt call her mommy. And I hate that. I I, I hate I, it. I, it just, it's a Newt, Newt didn't all of a sudden forget her mommy, you know, She's been with Ripley for all of 24 hours. Yeah. she. If that. She should have said, I looked at my wife and I go, she should have said, other mommy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. She should have just said, oh my God, I love you or Ripley or whatever, or not say anything. But the fact that they added in an obviously 80-yard mommy, I, it didn't work for me. I get it for the point of the, the, the overall story of Ripley and that kind of stuff. But I just thought, 
it, it, it's it seemed more unbelievable than a lot of other stuff in the film dude the like what do we have at this point maybe five minor gripes about this film Di- yeah. and they're all dialogue <laughs> yeah. and yeah. i agree with you 100 percent on every single one of them this one every time when she yells mommy i'm always like "Ooh, that's a little it's a little ham-fisted is what it is yes exactly yeah exactly yeah. They go to hypersleep and they head home. I'm not, I don't, I don't want to be too, too creeper. Sigourney Weaver in her just gray underwear. She looks good. Oh, am I wrong? No, gentlemen. Oh no, you are not wrong, buddy. I have always enjoyed uh, Sigourney Weaver, especially in Alien, uh, in her under, in her underwear. Always. (laughs) Yeah. I don't want to be too, but I'm just saying, I just want to credit where credit's due. She looks damn good in gray underwear. And, and, and I, and I don't know if it was because of this movie, but I've always thought just one of like the sexiest thing a woman can wear oh. is literally just a camisole, which is literally just like, you know, a, a tank top or whatever similar and a, a pair of underwear. And that's it. If they just wear that, I'm fucking sprung. <laughs> <laughs> that's all I'm going to say. Yeah, dude, I, I'm with you, man. I'm with you. Having having a, just a wife beater with with like no bra on is is that's my jam, baby. That's my jam. <laughs> and it's all because of Sigourney Weaver. <laughs> All right, gentlemen, the movie is done. Uh, Let's get into our final thoughts. We're all going to have similar awesome final thoughts about here, but we got to say them. Uh, John, how about you start us off? I loved it. That's all I'm going to (laughs) say. Okay. I've got a little bit. (laughs) Me too. I loved it. That's it. It's over. (laughs) Okay. I'll, I'll just say a couple more things. This movie is fucking intense. It has such great horror, such great action. It's a masterclass in both of those two genres, in my opinion, and how to meld them together. I'm going to love this movie until the day I die. It is so strong in everything, and I mean absolutely everything. We've got minor gripes, but I'll throw them aside for this because so much everything else. Yeah, we pick apart some of the dialogue, but there's so many other dialogue that is just so good and so strong and more memorable that I use in everyday life. It's so worth it. I love that the main villains are these mindless aliens, but also you see some depth into them. Mm. They're not just mindless. And then on top of that, there's a whole nother layer of fuck man is also a villain here. Burke with the company, all that shit. There's evilness there. There's depth to this film that you may not realize when you're, you know, 10 years old watching it, but you watch it again and again and again. And when you're older and you're just like, wow, they're really kind of saying some shit here. Cameron gets again, a little, maybe mommy ham fisted, uh, when he gets to avatar in his older years, because, you know, you see that whole kind of similar subplot of the company is big and bad and that kind of shit. Uh, with Avatar, and you know when he has that uh, scene where uh, Giovanni Rabisi is like, "Oh, I want you to go get this uh, one rare uh, element called unobtainium." It's called unobtainium. That was some of the worst fucking writing I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> but that aside, this movie is so much fun. Uh, I also want to call out: we had multiple of the alien toys, mm-hmm. um, and I think they—I don't remember where they spawned from. It must have been from after this movie. Maybe it was after Alien Three. I don't, or just kind of came about eventually. But we had, and they had like so many different kind of like varieties of different species. I remember we had a little bull yeah. alien. Yeah. We had one that had like spikes on its head. We had a gorilla one that would like spit water. Like this was a fun franchise. Yeah. I fucking loved it. Like the- I fucking love this movie. I love this series. I love this franchise. Fuck aliens is awesome. <laughs> yeah, dude. I mean, I'm with you, man. I think this movie holds up well to even like new watchers today. It 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 holds up. 
it feels great. It's a fun movie from from beginning to end. Um, yeah, it's. I mean, it's not perfect, but it's damn close to it, and uh, it's it's a lot of fun. I watched it. I went and saw it at uh, the Hollywood Forever Cemetery, one of those cemetery screenings, about like three years ago, maybe four years ago, and you know, like. Everyone screamed when they were supposed to. Everyone laughed when they were supposed to. Everyone, like, it, it just, it plays well. It still plays well in 2020 and, you know, uh, today. And then, you know, looking at the rest of the series moving forward, I always think that, obviously, this is the the shining bright spot of the, the series. But I don't hate Alien 3. I don't hate Alien Resurrection. No. Um, I, I, I don't watch them as frequently. I, you know, but I know. It's what? Whatever, you know, and here's the thing. Here's the thing. I grew up reading the Aliens comics, and so unlike Spider-Man, unlike maybe Captain America or something where it's like an ongoing series, Dark Horse would do miniseries. It would just be miniseries after miniseries after miniseries. So you would always do something completely different, a whole new creative team, new writer, new artist, you know, five, six issues, you know, a whole new series, and then there's another miniseries. So I already, by the time uh, Alien Resurrection came around, I was already used to just seeing aliens in all these different lights, you know, and I was like, okay, that's fine, and I, I enjoyed it, but I, I, the one thing I will say that I do not like are the prequels. I don't like the world that Ridley Scott created with Prometheus and covenant and everything Mm -hmm. and i still just like it when that they're just creatures they're just you know aliens alien life forms that got you know just happened to stumble upon it you know whatever i don't like the idea that they're created by a psycho android or whatever but whatever it's fine you know it but because i have this i have aliens and that's that's i and for me personally where i go with the franchise i go alien aliens and then the dark horse books and i look at alien 3 and alien resurrection as eh, what ifs that's what i look at them as what ifs john did you ever read the aliens comics were you a big uh dark horse guy back in the day no no, not at all. Okay. We, I feel like we might have had one. Maybe one. I have a bunch in my possession now, and that's only because my wife did read a bunch of the oh. Aliens comics. Okay. Oh, nice. Uh, so if you the, – the the only thing that's kind of weird, if you go right now and buy, like, the Dark Horse Aliens Omnibus, like, Volume 1, and the one – the very first story that they have that takes place after Alien, and it, it, it it's, it's with Hicks and with, with – with Newt, they changed Hick's name and they changed Newt's name to, to be something different in in the comic because they tried to force it to be canonical with Alien 3. But mm-hmm. when it was originally written, the very first Dark Horse Aliens miniseries, when it was originally written, that was Newt and, and Hicks. But if you pick it up now, it won't say their names. And that's what's really, really weird about it. And it's only because they just wanted to make it fit better with the movies. Sadly. You know, I really actually enjoy Alien 3. The only thing that bothered me was that they killed Hicks and Newt. Yeah, they went out. Unfortunately, yeah. it was it was it was pathetic writing. Yeah, and 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 John, I'm with you too, man. Like like, Alien Three is not a bad movie. I enjoy it yeah. as a movie. Yeah. If they just didn't, it just negates aliens. That's the problem with having Newt and Hicks die at the beginning of Alien Three. Just negates your emotional journey of aliens. And that's yeah. that's the biggest problem. Other than that, I had no problem with it whatsoever. Yeah. I wish that like somehow they made it so that. 
you know, Newt and Hicks survived and maybe just Ripley's, you know, um, cryo sleep thing was jettisoned, basically. You know what I mean? Like, just mm-hmm. her. I wish that Newt and, and Hicks survived. That would have made it so much better. Because in the comics, they do. And, and then, because they don't, they didn't incorporate Alien 3 at the time. Now, I will say this. I will say this. I do want to read Dark Horse just put out, like, last year, 2019. They just made an adaption of... The original, the fabled, the quote unquote, I'm using air quotes and the air that, um, that there's this original Alien 3 script that everyone kind of like references and everyone kind of loves. And they, Dark Horse had success basically adapting George Lucas's original Star Wars com, uh, screenplay into a comic book. So, and then they, so they were like, okay, let's try it again. So they, they actually take the original Alien 3 uh, idea and adapt it into a comic book. And uh, it just got put into a hardback trade just recently. And I hmm. just ordered it because I am dying to read it. I, I never, I never read it online. I think you can, I think. I think you can find the script online though there's the alien three the 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 story behind the creation of alien three is is just as crazy as the movie itself like that movie went through some really hardcore development mm-hmm. hell all right everybody that was a hell of a ride uh we were i felt like i was on an express elevator to hell not gonna lie <laughs> going down <laughs> yeah and that was our review of aliens This episode of the Blast From Our Past podcast is not brought to you by... They're unstoppable! But we've got to give it our best shot! Thunder the Marines! We're the Space Marines! Drake, Ripley, Apone, Bishop, and I'm Hicks. Armed with the latest high-tech heavy metal. Queen alien breathing down your back? I blast her with the bug rocker. Button heads with a bull alien? Ripley frags him with the turbo torch. Alien invasion problem? Send in the Marines! Space Marine figures and alien figures, each sold separately. All right, and now we're going to do the casting portion of the show. As we mentioned at the top, we are going to be recasting aliens. Now, this is just for fun. Nobody really wants us to to do this, but this is just sort of a fun what if. Now, instead of picking the order, I'm just going to go ahead and let Corey pick it, because whatever we say, he's going to have his own opinions on it, so I might as well just let him pick the order. <laughs> can, can I decide... I, I've got one decision, and I have to put my foot down. Oh. Let's just get Newt over fucking over with. Okay, yeah. She's the kid casting. I can't stand yeah. the kid castings. Yeah. They're so tough. Can we just I just get her done with, and then we get into like the more interesting yeah. castings? Yeah, okay. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start with Newt. I'm clearly going to end with Ripley, and then I'll just kind of go through from there. Oh, no. I'm still doing it. Oh, oh okay. I'm just yeah, letting yeah. you oh, pick oh, the oh, order. Oh, okay. Yeah, sure. <laughs> yeah. Because every time we do it, you're, you're like, can we do this one first? Or we can do this? One? So you just tell me the order. We'll, every time. We'll you, <laughs> John's right. Every time we do something, Corey's like, well, I, I really wanted my uh, apone to come before my baskets. <laughs> okay, okay. Uh, and we're just like, shut the fuck up. It's our podcast. Okay. okay. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah. The only thing I would say is, yeah, Ripley be the last one. We, yeah. we already knew that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so we are going to do... Ripley, Hicks, Burke, Bishop, Apone, Vasquez, Drake, Gorman, Hudson, and Newt. Our original thought was that since we're not doing a TV show, we can add some extra time by having some extra casting. Obviously, that didn't really fucking matter. 
<laughs> yeah, we have plenty of time already. So we're going to be doing. I don't know how long this episode is actually going to be because we just did a really long movie breakdown, and now we're going to do a really long casting. It's a good thing we didn't have a TV show to talk about. But we could have fucking done Mad About You, <laughs> we, and that would have been another like two we hours. Totally part. could have, and you know what? That probably would have worked. <laughs> yep. All right. Well, let's go ahead and start with Newt Adam. Since you hate uh, casting kids so much, go ahead and knock yours out. <laughs> I just, I don't watch enough kid shows. I just don't know really good kid actors. But this one kid actor just stole my fucking heart because I love you 3000. And I've used her before because she's that fucking adorable. I think she would be a great newt. I went with Lexi Rabe, who was uh, Tony Stark's kid in Endgame. I think she's she's a great cast for it. Yeah. That's a good one. Adam, I think that's a spot-on brilliant one because I also went with Lexi Rabe as my new. <laughs> Woo! Damn All straight. Right, well, then it's up to me. Um, I mean, I'm with you guys. Like, I listen to every episode of, of Blast From Our Past, so I I feel you. I know. I, I don't have any clue what the hell's going on on Disney Channel. You know, I don't know what any of the kids are, so... I, Liar. <laughs> I know you watch that shit all 24-7. <laughs> so uh, I just said, you know what? Uh, she's got to be good because um, uh, Jason Reitman picked her. Uh, so I went with McKenna Grace, who is going to be in the new Ghostbusters Afterlife. She's like sort of the main young girl in Ghostbusters Afterlife. So I figured she was probably pretty good. So hey, she'll play a good newt. There you go. That's it. Of all my casting, this is the one I literally put the least thought into because, yeah, I'm, I have no clue. She's a good little actress. I ended up using her in an episode, I think maybe actually that's going to come out after this. I can't remember. My only issue with that is mm, Carrie Henn was about nine uh, when this movie was came out. Uh, McKenna Grace is already... 13 she'll be 14 pretty soon i feel like that might be a bit old but maybe that's what maybe you want an older newt i don't know maybe maybe it, I, I, I guess it also <laughs> depends on how she looks like if she can she play younger yeah yeah true yeah. i i mean but like, like a, i said i, I don't know a, I, a 14 year old playing a 10 year old i think is a, it's a pretty big difference i have no backup for this other than that <laughs> fact that she's in ghostbusters afterlife i have a lot more thought put into every other casting of of it but uh th- okay. this is so like like if we look at it as like you know for the directors this is essentially this is the role that i would just allow my casting director to essentially they, you yeah. know find <laughs> all right well uh, for fun let's go to hudson Hudson's oh, a fun character. Uh, oh, okay. So we're going to bounce around? All right. Uh, well, not really. I'm going literally down the list that yeah. I said. <laughs> it wasn't bouncing around at all. I, I was expecting it. You, you're I, doing I thought good, we John. Go from, like, Corey, uh, Corey, of course. Corey is fucking head. He's like, well, I really wanted to do uh, Gorman before Hudson. What are we that doing? That was literally my first thought. I was like, we're going to start with Gorman. We're going to go like more like. <laughs> I'm just sh- shaking my fucking head, Corey. <laughs> I'll shut up now. All right. No, you don't shut up. You get to tell us who your Hudson is. Okay. My Hudson. So I wanted somebody who had some some range to them. That was honestly the, the biggest thing. They needed to have a lot of range. They needed to go from badass to just crazy. And uh, I really like what uh, John Boyega brought to not only the Star Wars sequels, but also to Attack the Block. So I made John Boyega my Hudson. Okay. Okay. I don't hate that. Yeah. I don't. Yeah. I don't hate that. I find it. Go ahead. Oh, go I ahead was say, I'm willing to give him a shot at that. Yeah. I, I like John Boyega. Um. You know. I think he's he's pretty good. I, he's 
pretty comical, and I think that's important for a Hudson yeah. a bits about that. I find it funny. I was you know looking at some other people's like recastings of aliens. People kept putting him as Frost, mm. and I think maybe because he kind of looks a little bit like Frost. Maybe he's a little. He's more doughy <laughs> than the guy who played Frost, though. <laughs> I, I will absolutely entertain Hudson. I think John Boyega is a little too big for that role. Well, all right. So I mean, you'll you'll see the kind of movie that I went for, but I definitely wanted to diversify the the nationality of the cast. That was one of my yeah, that was oh, yeah. kind of like one of my main sort of all right how am i gonna i, I want to diversify it and then i also wanted to because everyone was so iconic i wanted to keep the energy levels the same for for the character and then i wanted to basically you know just just keep it at a certain level like i wanted the marines to be a certain age versus like age kind of plays into things with it you know i just think i think john boyega might be a little bit wasted as your hudson okay that's it all right well, who did you go with, Adam? I went. So I, I tried to, you know, build up my biggest actors are the ones for the biggest roles. And I kind of, you know, went with like more somewhat smaller roles who might actually get cast. I think John Boyega, you know, he's going to get to do much of a draw. I don't have that much of a, of my budget. I don't know what kind of budget Corey <laughs> has in his movie, but it's apparently like a $500 million budget if he's starting with fucking Boyega as Hudson. Is, Boy, is <laughs> John Boyega really bringing asking for that much money? I don't think so. But, he was in the last three fucking Star Wars movies but that made a billion dollars each. But he's not doing anything else, though. He's not doing anything else, though. That's the thing. I think you're blowing it a little too much out of proportion, Adam. That's my thought. I don't... <laughs> I think he... I think he... I'll blow you <laughs> out of proportion. <laughs> that was gross. You're my brother. I'm sorry. Uh, but those let me the, just go into my Hudson. Can I just say, those are the those are the jokes that I love the most on Blast from Our Past. <laughs> God. Uh, all right, John. John, I'll, what is your Hudson, buddy? I'm still waiting for Adam to tell me his. <laughs> oh wait, no wait, no. <laughs> I'm, I'm like three whiskeys in, guys. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. My Hudson. I wanted somebody who I think could really kind of emphasize, uh, like kind of the, the comedic, cocky side of Hudson. You know, you got to have like some of the other stuff as well. Uh, this guy has, I think, particularly that aspect. In the show uh, New Girl, I'm not a huge fan of the show, but he totally encapsulates that in the show New Girl. He's also done some kind of actiony stuff within uh, Jurassic World and The Mummy, the more recent Tom Cruise one. I think he's a perfect cast for Hudson. I went with Jake Johnson. I can officially say that I like your choice better than mine. Yes. Um, yes. I know the name. I don't know that actor very well. I love Nick Miller's, or that—that's his character on uh, New Girl. Mm-hmm. He's—he was my favorite part of New Girl, and yeah, I—he's got—he's got a cockiness yeah, to him, yeah. And I think—I think that fits with Hudson, kind of like the sarcastic asshole. And he could—he could work out a little bit and get a little bit like military ready. And I think he would, yeah. Nah, he's—that's a good one, buddy. I'll—I'll I'll take that one over John Boyega Ooh. for sure. Okay, cool. Well, you got his uh, uh, approval. Um, if you thought John Boyega was too big for Hudson, you might think my actor's too big for Hudson. Um, Sidney Poitier. <laughs> Dude, Sidney Poitier would kill The guy's it. got rage. He would kill it. They call me Mr. Hudson. <laughs> I'm down. I fucking love that guy. Um, we've talked so much. I'm not going to spend a whole bunch of time talking up my guys just a little bit. Um, he's a good actor. You've seen him in multiple TV shows. He's currently on the latest season of Westworld, I went with Jesse Bitch, Aaron Paul. He, I mean, he's pretty big, but he's kind of in the TV world, mm-hmm. like, and pretty well secure in the TV world. So I, 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 I'm, I'm cool with it. I love Aaron. I've been, the funny thing is, I've been trying to figure out, 
I want to cast Aaron Paul in something, <laughs> and I haven't figured out what yet. But I like that. He would. He, I know you've cast him in one thing before. One of our really early episodes, you've cast him in something. Okay, then I yeah. Uh, well, I'm cool with this. I think he's a good call for Hudson. Okay. Yeah, I, I like that one too. I like that one too a lot actually. All right. Well, let's go to uh, Gorman. Okay. <laughs> Uh, I'll go ahead and start us off with this one. So Gorman is uh, kind of a wet blanket. So uh, (laughs) I went with somebody who played kind of a wet blanket in the X-Men universe. I went with James Marston. (laughs) Oh, poor James Marston. Cyclops never gets the fucking respect he deserves. I know. Cyclops is supposed to be a badass tactician and, you know, military mind and strategist. And, like, he's always just kind of sidelined as... Not as cool as Wolverine. <laughs> like, that's just kind of what he's become in all the movies. Yeah, but I love James Marston, dude. Like, that's that's a great pick. That, that He would... I do actually... I can see him as Gorman. I actually really like that pick. I think that's a good one. Uh, my only gripe, I see him more as a Hicks type. Ah, okay, okay. Can, all, right. Can, all right, yeah, yeah. Uh, Adam, what? who did you go with Gorman? I went with a, a guy you guys might not know. Um, I think he'll play... The wet blanket perfectly. <laughs> I don't know. He's kind of got a nerdy-esque look to him, and I think it, it fits pretty well. He's not like massive nerd, but I think he he he's not terribly far off from the Gorman that we saw. Um, I went with uh, Scoot McNary. He's been in Argo. He's been in 12 Years a Slave. Good kind of like side actor that not a lot of people know him. Maybe they recognize his face, but maybe even not. But the guy is solid, and I think he'd be a good oh. side actor who... Uh, who who played like the Gorman nerd pretty goddamn well? Yeah, I know that guy. I've 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 seen that guy. I I like that guy. I never even knew his name. His name's Scoot. Mm-hmm. Oh my god! What a great um, name! <laughs> yeah, name what a great name! Good, yeah. Oh, he was in Monsters. He was in. Uh, uh, yeah. yeah. Okay. Okay. That was a great. That was actually a really good movie. Um. Okay. Awesome. That was uh directed by Gareth Edwards, who did uh, Rogue One. Um. That's a good one, dude. I really like him. He's he's got a really good look. Cool. I'm indifferent because I don't I don't recognize him, but if you say he's good, yep. then he's good. Fair enough. Um, for for me with Gorman, like I looked at Gorman, like he's somebody who is, a, like a, like 100 potential, but like zero, like he he's never had any experience. Like he's gone through ROTC. I I, I always picture him coming from the military background, like all the way up and like fast tracked just because of who he is. But then he has no experience whatsoever. And the one person I think sort of in Hollywood that kind of like encompasses that sort of feeling who I actually want to see more of. And I, I kind of like as an actor, I thought army hammer would play a good Gorman. And he was, uh, no. he played the, no, he played the, no. the button there. Adam, Adam loves it. him some army hammer. So putting him as Gorman. No, I, I mean, I, it could be. Uh, and so what I would uh, funny enough, I put, uh, you said, well, we, we cast army hammer as our Cyclops <laughs> in the, uh, way back episode eight oh, with yeah. the dynamic duel guys. And he, he would be a perfect, Cyclops, but I don't think he's a perfect Gorman. I just don't. And so, like, I think, like, Gorman needs to, like, have the look of somebody who's capable, but then at the end, not be capable. Army Hammer is, like, six... Yes, he's jacked. Yeah, and, and so fuck. and so when he turns out to be completely ineffectual, you'll be like, oh, okay, Ineff- I, I, you ineffective, know. ineffectual. Yeah, yeah, there you go. Yeah, like, and, he doesn't. Is that a yeah, no, affection? <laughs> he might. He might also be ineffectual. Gorman That's might true. also be ineffectual, but he's but he is ineffective. And I thought that the juxtaposition of somebody who looks like they're going to be the hero, someone who looks like they're going to be effective, turns out to not be because they have no experience. And at the end of the day. 
Army, like the Gorman character, it's not that he's like a coward or anything. He just had no experience. And then when shit hit the fan, he was like, oh, fuck, what the fuck do I do now? There's no training. And I feel like Army Hammer looks like he's all training, but no experience. Why why I disagree with that pick is because Army Hammer does have the look that he's had all the training. But the thing is, he looks like he's had all the grunt training. And like the guy's gone through shit like because he's got that size and all that stuff. What I like about Gorman and why Gorman needs to be someone who isn't as big and strong and tough is because he's the kind of guy who, like, went through all of, like, the JROTC and all that kind of shit, who's kind of like, he loves the nerd aspect shit, and so he's he's in it for the officership. He's not in that shit for the training and to be buff and look good, and so when you have, like, the buff... I don't think Army Hammer's that buff. Well, but, but he's got he's got he's got a big you know he's just got a, an impending. The guy's like six five. He's a big fucking guy. But tall doesn't mean buff. No, I just I don't think that that encapsulates the look of a proper Gorman. And so fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted his his fall to be greater. Uh, okay, let's move on. <laughs> These are we're, we're, like, we're not. We got a long in. way to go, fellas. We got a long way to go. <laughs> let's move on to Drake. All right, okay. uh, Adam, why don't you start us off with your Drake? Drake, awesome. Mark Rolson did a great job. Um, I wanted somebody who has the look of someone really hard, and you know, you you gotta bring the intensity. Um, and this guy brought the intensity, whether it was on Walking Dead, whether it was as him as the Punisher. I put John Bernthal as my Drake. I think he'd be a perfect Drake. Mm. Yeah, no, he's he's a good Drake. I think he's a little bit. For what the character is, you know, I think he's he's a little bit too big to put in there, but he's he's a good Drake though. I, I could see that. I could see that. Yeah, I mean that's that's I mean that's for the look. He's I think he's spot on. I I tend to agree with Corey. That I think he's a little big, but you never know. I mean, he's got the look right, and I love John Bernthal. Okay. Anything hard edged, he's going to be really good at. I mean, and and yeah, I'm mm-hmm. I'm with John. I love John Barenthal. He is the best Punisher ever. So I'm oh yeah, hundred percent on board with that with that pick. I just don't know if he would sign up for that. He would if, if it was my movie. And I was the casting <laughs> director, and I was calling him. He uh, would. Corey, who'd you go with? Uh, yeah, um, I. I really liked him as Bruce Lee and uh, once upon once upon a time in Hollywood. So I went with Mike Mo. I I felt like that mm. I I wanted I I don't want to make this sound racist, but I wanted to have an Asian actor yep. in in the film. I wanted mm-hmm. I wanted there to be more more diversity than the original film. So I kind of I kind of have a, I had a checklist like okay I want to kind of get a, an Asian mm-hmm. actor in here, and he was. Um, he was fantastic. So I was like, you know what? Give him just give him some fun stuff to do, you know. And and why not, right? Like, what's what's the harm in sure. that? Sure. Yeah. I mean, uh, I respect that. Yeah, we, we've done a lot of that's you know changing the diversity. I mean, we yeah. like to see you know because that that really does, especially with something with the military, that really does reflect the military where they'll take anybody. Yeah, they'll take anybody. Uh, similar to you, I changed up Drake a little bit. Uh, I went with another actor who is not necessarily a huge actor right now. He's he's done a few things. Uh, he was recently on uh, True Detective, um, mm-hmm. but he's best known to everyone else. I thought he did a good job in an unfortunate set of movies, uh, and he played Cyborg. I went with Ray Fisher. 
Okay, in in the Justice League, I liked yeah. he was he was good. I mean, there was nothing wrong with yes. him as the actor in 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 those movies. Uh, those movies aside, mm-hmm. um, I agree. Yeah, he that's a good choice. I I like him, and I want to see more him do more. You know, yeah, I, I'm the same boat as Corey. I want to see more of Ray Fisher, and so that's a good good choice. Okay. Yeah. Was that everyone? I'm, we talk so much, I've completely lost yeah. <laughs> yes, where we yeah, are. That, that was all of our drinks. <laughs> okay. All right. Let's move on to Vasquez. I'm going to jump in with my Vasquez. Uh, I picked someone who, eh, she's getting pretty big right now. She kind of, she already sort of embodies the Vasquez look and the Vasquez attitude. So it was pretty easy move over for me. I went with Ruby Rose. Nice. Ah, oh, interesting. Yeah. Nice. I can see that. I, she does have that a lot of that embodiment. Yeah, and I, I really wanted to find a spot in this movie for Ruby Rose, especially after uh, my wife and I just watched the three John Wick movies last week, and uh, I think John Wick 2 is probably my favorite one, and I just, I, I love Ruby Rose. I think she's great. I think she's great as Batwoman on CW, too. I, want, I agree. I like her as that. Yeah, and she and you know what? She was fine in The Meg, too. I, I want to see Ruby Rose doing more stuff <laughs> yeah i i like that movie i did watch it <laughs> yeah i didn't care for her much in um orange is the new black but i, I like ruby rose i think she's got that hardness mm-hmm. that fits really well with vasquez yeah right. so like and I'll, I'll jump on this one the only thing is like with her name being vasquez i was like i she's i have to cast a, a latina for this one um Ca- i was gonna say you have to cast a jewish lady and have her wear uh, a <laughs> well i, I said it to my wife i was like so sh- should i cast a latina or should we just like redo a, a jewish lady and give her brown makeup basically <laughs> and it's yeah. funny that like no one ever kind of calls jeanette goldstein well it's not her fault you know what i mean it, it, no one ever yeah. calls mm-hmm. aliens out uh on, on that but um this was the one time that I was like, I want to stick sort of within this nationality. She's such a strong uh, Latin character that I want to give her, uh, give a Latino a chance to, to to play the role. And I went with uh, Paula Lazaro, and she is coming up on The Walking Dead. She's playing this kind of this uh, character that people are sort of looking forward to, this kind of badass. But uh, the look of her, she's kind of got the badassness to her, um, and she's kind of got uh she can handle guns so i figured you know what she's working on walking dead she can handle guns and everything and uh so i went with uh yeah with her paula paula lazaro guys like when i and i know you you guys do this sometimes too when you like sort of type in you know into google like when i typed in like 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 latin actresses like so many of them are are no offense, like older, like Eva Mendez and stuff. And mm-hmm. I wanted to keep all of my my main grunts in the 20-year-old 20, 20 range, you know what I mean? And so that was kind of my age inhibitor that I stuck with. But uh, I think she's got the look. I think she's got the look. Yeah. Yeah. I kind of see her, one of her shots is where they're with like kind of a half-shaved yeah, head. Yeah, and that's what kind of sold it for me. I've never seen anything, but I'm look-wise, I'm yeah, down. Yeah, I agree. Uh, I had a more mi- similar mindset to Cora in this one. I wanted to pick mm-hmm. a semi-younger looking um, Hispanic person. I wanted to, I didn't want to go with uh, another Jewish woman, <laughs> but, and, <laughs> you know. Uh, but anyway, uh, I picked, I think, an actress. I also didn't, like, the first name that kind of came to my mind was Michelle Rodriguez. Yeah. But I was like, ah, eh, she's, she's older she's now. She's been there. She's older now. I, I I mean she would have been perfect, you know, at the dude, beginning. Dude, when I was when I was casting this with my wife, that was the first name she threw out for Vasquez and I was mm-hmm. like, "Yes, 
if we casted this 10 years ago, she would have won. Yeah. Michelle Rodriguez would have 100% been my Vasquez because I love Michelle. Rod- and she looks amazing now, mm-hmm. but she's she's like, she's 30 plus, you know, she's she's getting there. I think she's 40 plus. She's, yeah, yeah. She's the, she's the same age as Corey. She was born Fuck. in 78. Oh my God, she's 42. She looks amazing. She yeah. looks amazing. <laughs> she looks, yeah, she looks fucking amazing. Now, granted, um, the person I picked is only five six years younger so she's only like you know 38 or 37 mm-hmm. right now i think they're 36 as well she's just born in 83 um but i think she actually kind of has a an even younger look than uh, michelle rodriguez she i wanted to go with the uh, you know hispanic woman she's done some actiony stuff with it with predators and elysium mm-hmm. i went with alice braga mm. She, in in Predator, she was the the the, the female, and yeah, I, I actually yes, liked I exactly. liked that movie a lot, and her character was great in that movie. So I am one hundred percent on board with that pick. She she was fantastic. Um, I only recognize her from I Am Legend, and she had a fairly small, well, not that small. I mean, yeah. she was in most of the movie, but she didn't do much too much in that movie. John, have you never seen Predators? No, it was actually good. I mean, Robert Rodriguez it was, directed I, it, it was. It was surprisingly okay. <laughs> surprisingly okay. Yeah. Much better than yeah. The Predator, that's for sure. Okay. Yeah. yeah, I don't think I've seen it. Is that the one with Adrian Brody? Yes. yes. Okay, it then is. I definitely yep. have not seen it. I've been burned too many times before. That's why I still haven't seen that's why I still haven't seen the, the like the last two or three Terminator movies. I haven't seen any of the Predator yeah, movies. I, I saw Covenant or not Covenant. <clears throat> I saw Prometheus. Yeah, a, right, against yeah. my better judgment and regretted it instantly. So I've stayed away <laughs> from those movies. Uh, I agree with a lot of what you're saying there. I will just say that um, Terminator Dark Fate was actually pretty damn good, and it negates everything like post Terminator <laughs> Two. So right. yeah, really, yeah, yeah. It, 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 it's a, it's a uh, Terminator Dark Fate is a direct sequel to Terminator Two, thus negating Terminator Three and everything else. It just uh, it looked so bad. It was it, like the trailers looked terrible of Dark Fate, but I, maybe I'll give it a yeah. shot eventually. All right, let's move on to Apone. Uh, I'll start off with my Apone. Honestly, I kept going through people. I love Apone. We all love Apone, and I just had such a hard time finding someone who I think was the right fit. A lot of people who I wanted ended up being just they're just being too old for this role. Uh-huh. There's some guys who are like. I think per- perfectly like hard for this kind of stuff. Like a, like a, I've thrown people I've used before, like Stephen Lang. I think would have been a pretty damn good apone. Um, Andre Brower would have been a damn good apone, but they're just they're too old, you know. Because mm-hmm. apone is still in the mix of things. Yeah. And honestly, the guy I went with, I think I know he can be hard um, and, and funny and all that kind of. He's a great actor. He's he, he's maybe one of the biggest actors that I picked. You know, would he do this role? I don't know, especially one that's not the hero. I don't know. I went with Idris Elba. Uh, I, he's the right age. He's like almost like this very similar age to uh, the other Apone or to the guy, to Al Matthews who played him at the time. He just, he's probably too big for it, but I still think he, of course he would do a great job. He's fucking yeah. Idris Elba. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, he did Pacific Rim, so I don't think he's that yeah. discriminative. <laughs> I mean, I love Pacific Don't get me wrong, I love Pacific Rim, but I just don't think Idris Elba really cares that much. <laughs> True. I mean, I guess if, if the money is right. Yeah, the yeah. money's always right. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I went with, uh, I also had a hard time. I kind of, at first I was like, well, I, I got to find somebody who was in the military, but 
uh, any lists I ever found of people in the military were all from people who are very old or long dead. So mm. I had I kind of could I was like, all right, I can't I can't follow that logic anymore. So I was trying to find other actors who were somewhere between mid thirties to mid forties, somewhere in that ten year range, who could skew as the you know in a, 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 a sort of a non commissioned officer, you know that sort of thing, platoon leader, whatever. I like this guy. He's been in a lot of stuff. I'm I'm a little hesitant with this one, but I think he's a good actor, so I think he'd do an okay role. I went with Mackay Pfeiffer. Mm. Oh, I like that call. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and how how old how old is he right now? Did you say? Uh, well, he, now he was born in '74, so he's in his mid 40s right now. Mm. But I mean, now okay. Matthews had a had an older look to him, so. Yeah, yeah. No, that's yeah. that. No, both so far, both great, great, great picks. Um. I I I like that one. I like Mackay Pfeiffer as as Apone. I like that. Mm-hmm. I think, and I think he would have fun with it. That's the thing. Yeah. No. My pick is a smidge older than Mackay Pfeiffer by a few years, but I think they can pull it off. I'm not gonna lie. I I've I've you know between your all's episode with Tess talking about Serenity and Firefly, and I've been watching a lot of Firefly lately. And guys, I really think that they can pull this off. Although they were born in born in 1969, but I went with uh, Zoe herself, Gina Torres. I think uh, I kind of channeled her her ex military in Firefly mm-hmm. and said, you know what? Yeah. I think she could pull off the military thing. I do think that maybe we're a couple years, just maybe just a smidge, a couple years past when she would maybe uh, be perfect for it. But I I think she could still pull it off. I'm one hundred percent very cool with that choice. It, it, as hard as she is as uh, Zoe, mm-hmm. she she could be very hard as Apone. I, I love that choice. And like I said, I was trying to go with the energy, and I felt like like Zoe always on Serenity and Firefly had this feeling like, yeah, she's been through shit, like her and uh, Mal. They've been through shit. And Apone, mm-hmm. he's not surprised by shit because he's been through shit. And that's like that's the great yep. part about Apone is because when shit hits the fan, this is shit that he's never seen before. And yeah. that's why they're completely, you know, ineffective, John, <laughs> at, <laughs> at, at what they're doing. Um, but I, I really, I really do uh, uh, think that uh, that she could have, she could pull it off, even now, even like in 2020. I'm, uh, I'm with Adam. I'm 100 on board with that one. Yeah. Nice, nice. She's perfect for that cast. Yeah. I mean, that's that's fantastic. And I think by now you guys know how much I love Apone. She was literally my first thing that popped in my head, and I have not Ooh. considered anyone else. I loved it. I was like, nope, that's it. I love that that call right there. All right. Well, mm-hmm. let's move on let's to go. Bishop, and I'm going to start because, speaking of gender bending, I gender bent uh, Bishop. Bishop's android. Android could basically be mm-hmm. whatever you want it to be. Um, so I wanted to change it up, get some more uh, diversity in the cast, and so this is where one of the re- one of the places I chose to do it, and I went with someone. She is a little bit older now, but I don't care. She's amazing in everything she does, and I love her. I went with Michelle Yeoh. Oh yes! Oh, she's so good. She's so good. She is. She is. I I, I love her, and she could totally. I mean, it, for an android, exactly. You can do any look right. that you want to make work. Michelle Yeoh, awesome. She's she's got some great action chops. She she could totally play like this stuff. That's a fantastic yeah, choice. Okay. Dad, love it. Awesome. Love it. Love it. Cool. That makes me feel good. Yep. All right. Uh Corey, yep. why don't you go next and we'll end that one on Adam. Yeah. Um yeah, Bishop Roll, I felt like that would would be fun, like a fun thing for people to play as cuz they could 
I would want them to play it how they sort of perceived an android to be. And I thought he did such a interesting job showing just... Well, you'll, you'll know what I mean. In Get Out. Uh, he was in Get Out. And I picked for my bishop uh, Lakeith Stanfield. He was also in Sorry to Bother You. But uh, I really liked him in Get Out. Oh, yes. He was he was that one guy. Because, um, yeah, in Get Out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The guy. Um, uh, I know who you're talking about. The party who yeah. kind of dipped away from at first and then he kind of they kind of had a recondition yeah yeah um, that's yeah but yeah, he was yeah, yeah. he was like he was also in uh, uh sorry to bother you as well but yeah he i just for some reason the the small amount of time that he was on he, that he was on screen and get out i was just mm-hmm. like mesmerized by him i really really liked him so i, I just want to give him some something fun to play with you know yeah He's yeah, he's in Knives Out. I really want to see that. I, I haven't watched too. it yet, but like that looks like a movie I I yeah, got to yeah, see. Yeah. That's yeah. like that and uh Underwater with Kristen Stewart are like my two like number one rentals uh. right now. Number one rentals and Kristen Stewart are not two things that often come out of I, my mouth. I know, I know, I know. <laughs> Although I'm, I will dude, say I, I did love her in The Runaways. Okay. Which was a okay. movie about the the band The Runaways. Yeah, yeah. But she yeah. also I, wasn't the focus in that movie, so I don't hate Kristen Stewart, but I like underwater monster movies, so that's that's why. That's, <laughs> okay. that's the only reason I care. I I wouldn't care if Kristen Stewart was in underwater or not. I want to see the monsters. Okay. Uh, all right, my bishop. Um, I wanted somebody who I think could play that straight mechanical android type of person. Uh, I think this guy is actually probably a little bit older than um, what Lance Hendrickson was when he played it, uh, but it, that's that doesn't bother me one bit i've actually seen him he do he like the roles that i know this guy from he's usually kind of like the stiff he kind of almost has an androidy kind of <laughs> thing about him already i loved him in the wire he's very mm. straight laced in the wire um very similar in fringe which was a, a sci-fi kind of show i think it was on fox but also similar um with the john wick series um he plays i, I think is the, the the guy who manages the hotel uh his name is lance riddick uh, so another Lance, <laughs> funny enough, but I think he would be a uh, a perfect bishop, and he's got that very, I don't know, robotic oh. kind of uh, stiff thing about him. You, I, I'm sure you've seen him and stuff, but great actor, and I think he'd be a, a perfect bishop. I don't, I don't recognize anything he's been in, but I like the look of him. I love him, and it's not just because he grew up in Baltimore, <laughs> but no, he's he's great on uh, he's fantastic on um, uh, John Wick. I like him a lot on John mm-hmm. Wick, and, and, and he's he's very just kind of like stoic and straight laced uh, in that series, and I think that you know that could transition to uh, an android. Pretty yeah, well. yeah. No, he's he's that's a fantastic choice, dude. All right, oh. let's move on. Uh, I think I think uh, I want to throw out all of our bishops were pretty fucking yeah, awesome. Yeah. I agree. Yeah, I yeah. Would agree. Yeah, yeah I, I I enjoyed every single one of our bishops. All right, well, let's move on to Burke. Adam, why don't you start us off with Burke? I I had a couple different people kind of come to my mind. The first person that came to my mind was Topher Grace, and then I realized <laughs> he already kind of played Burke in Predators. Honestly, he was a very similar kind of character <laughs> can, can in I, that one. Can I just say that I love Topher Grace? Like, it's almost like a guilty pleasure. Like, I always like him. I'm, I'm not going to lie. I think he's fun. Have I have I told you my Topher Grace story? <laughs> no. Have you met him? <laughs> no. <laughs> I Well, I, I mean, I, I talked to okay. him once. Okay. So I was – this was obviously back when I was living in L.A., and I was a regular – this was before – I mean, the room, the room, which is a movie, the Tommy Wiseau movie, had kind of been started to blow up. 
Um, it, it, it wasn't super huge where it was like showing everywhere across the nation, um, where now it kind of like is, and even like worldwide, but it was playing at the Lamel five, the sunset five, um, on sunset, um, every, the last Friday or the last, uh, Saturday or Friday midnight of every month. Um, and I would go all the damn time, like almost every month. I swear. I've seen that movie like 20 times in the theaters at least. But we were in line and I was dressed up. If anybody has seen the movie, I was dressed up in a tuxedo and I had a football. (laughs) And so I was ready for the movie. Standing behind me in line was Topher Grace and some of his guys. Was that asshole Topher Grace? (laughs) (laughs) And he and he kind of he had obviously never seen it before. And so he kind of like tapped me and he was like, what what's up with the, the why are you wearing this? I don't get it. And I I was such a like little turd and i was just like you'll see and just turn around and i was like oh my god what a douche i was such a douche to topher grace and you know he's gonna remember you know like the funny thing is he probably remembers that he's like man there was this guy in line that was just a real d-bag yeah he just wouldn't tell me what it why the fuck he wore a tuxedo and i was just like i thought i was so cool because i'd seen the movie at like five times by then and topher grace hadn't and i was like yeah, you you just have to wait. You have to wait. Yeah. I can't tell fuck you. you. And I, <laughs> fuck you, Sir <laughs> Grace. <laughs> Go fuck yourself. <laughs> yeah. Uh. Uh. Anyway. Um. So I thought of him. I eventually shot it down, and then I thought of uh, Giovanni Re- Giovanni Rabisi, who was in Avatar. Ultimately, the exact same character as Burke, <laughs> yeah, really, but in was, Avatar, he really was the exact same character. <laughs> yeah. Um. But then I landed on a guy a little bit older than um. Paul Reiser was in this one, but I think it totally fits someone who kind of represents the company. He, I think, you know, I like Paul Reiser as an actor, but I think this guy would elevate it more than definitely Paul Reiser has. Funny enough, he actually acted, um, you know, alongside Lance Reddick in The Wire. Most people know him as Littlefinger in Game of Thrones. I think he would be a perfect Burke. I went with Aiden Gillen. Yeah, yeah, that's a good call. He, I mean, he's he. That's the kind of role he's done a lot of playing of. Yeah. He's, he's, yeah, that's a good one. That's a good one. I didn't. Uh, I've only ever seen the first season of The Wire, which is iro- uh, ironic. He doesn't. He doesn't show up until season two. Yeah. Yeah, which is ironic because I'm from Maryland. But uh, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. That's. It's a great. It's one of the best shows of all time, man. It, oh, fucking amazing. Um, good pick, by the way. I, I like that pick. I Actually, like- funny enough, and I fuck, uh, and I picked Idris Elba. God damn, that was three straight Wire picks for me in a row. <laughs> That was that was all right. Yeah, uh, uh, Corey, once you throw yours in, yeah. Um, for my Burke, I, I you know, kind of wanted the look, but I, I felt like a lot of people could do it, so I kind of wanted to throw it to somebody who I haven't seen in a while and I actually like. Um, I thought he kind of, unfortunately, Speed Racer kind of tanked his career. I think he was on uh, uh, an upward movement and he was going to kind of be bigger than he turns out to be now. But I really like Emil Hirsch and I think he could do a good job as Burke because at first you, you need Burke to be likable. You need, you need him to be someone you can sort of, you think you can connect to, but underneath there, there is that sliminess, that eighties, you know, that eighties mm-hmm. company man sliminess. And I think, uh, yeah. I think Emil Hirsch has the range to, to do it. And honestly, to be truthful, I just want to see him in more stuff. I just like him. <laughs> so I'm just like, cool, g- g- give it to him. Like, I think he could, I think he would be yeah. good, able to do good stuff with it. Basically. Yeah. I'm on board with that. I'm totally on board with it. I was, uh, 
you know, you already brought up Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Did you recently watch that? And then you're kind of casting those guys. <laughs> oh, what's uh, the funny thing is, I actually haven't seen Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I've oh. only seen the 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 Bruce Lee um, the stuff that that Mike Mo did. Um, okay. I didn't know Emil Hirsch was in it, but I saw that it just popped yeah. up on Stars. So and and we have the the Stars subscription. So I think we were, we were gonna watch it actually next uh, weekend. So the when this drops, it'll probably be the same week I'll watch it. So what was Emil Hirsch in okay. it? Yeah. Yes, he was. Uh, he did fine. I didn't care for the movie. Okay. I, I love Tarantino. I think Brad Pitt and um, Leonardo DiCaprio, fantastic characters, fantastic actors in that film. But overall, the movie didn't make a lot of sense. I didn't think it was all that good. Emil Hirsch, great call. Oh, nice. Though. Okay, great cool. Call. Good, cool. good, good. Um, uh, my guy is a little bit on the older side, but I mean, it's a company guy, so you don't, you know, I, I don't think it matters mm-hmm. really. I don't think it matters. Nope. Um, I did think I went with a guy who's probably a little bit, maybe too big for this. Maybe, especially in the last like five or six years, he's really blown up. Uh, one, I think he won an Oscar, at least an Oscar once and, and he's constantly getting big leading roles and who knows, maybe he has a nostalgia for the movie. He'd want to do it. Uh, he's a great actor. I don't think anyone's going to argue that he's a great actor, uh, but I went with Sam Rockwell. Oh my God, John! I almost had Sam Rockwell as my as my Burke too, dude. I was sitting on him, and I like I, dude. I love Sam Rockwell. Everything Moon Moon is fantastic, and I literally was just like, you know what? Sam Rockwell's getting he gets a lot of work. I want to give it to Emil Hirsch. That was literally the only (laughs) reason because I love Sam Rockwell. So you know what, John? I will give you that one, buddy. I love that pick, dude. No, no fighting for me either. That's a solid choice. The guy can do whatever the hell he wants yeah 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 okay. dude that he would and he and, and i don't think burke matters age-wise truthfully it, it really doesn't matter it's whoever's gonna crush it the most and i think sam rockle would do a fantastic job okay uh that was everyone's burke right yeah yep. okay all right so let's move on to hicks i'm gonna jump in with mine i'm gonna be honest i'm not uh i'm not as confident hicks was the one i had the most trouble casting uh, I was the last one I cast. In fact, I sat on this cast for a whole day before I finally cast Hicks. I like this guy. I'm I I'm not sure you guys are really gonna know too much of his work. I think he's gonna be. I think he would be an okay fit, but I'll leave the rest up to you guys. Um, the the thing you would probably know him best from would be Suicide Squad. Uh, he played Diablo, um, but he mm-hmm. has recently mm-hmm. been playing um, uh, Thomas Magnum in the revamped Magnum PI series. I went with Jay Hernandez. I don't know much of his stuff. You're right. Yeah. I have seen Hostel, and he's in that. I definitely have seen Suicide Squad. I hated that. I know, and it's hard to tell with Diablo because he's got all that the makeup and everything on. Yeah, he's got the whole yeah. face paint or the face tattoos and everything. But, you know, l- looking at him here in Magnum P.I., I mean, because Hicks... Hicks needs to he he's not the rock like like that's the thing like you right. don't want to cast the rock as Hicks like mm-hmm. he has to be just a normal grunt looking dude and at the beginning of the movie like the camera doesn't really focus on Hicks all that much it's not until the entire mm-hmm. team gets wiped out that Hicks really sort of steps up to the plate and you know I I think he's got the look uh th- this guy uh, Jay Hernandez he definitely has like that okay. that every man look that that Michael mm-hmm. Bean mm-hmm. definitely had when he was was younger you know okay i'll take it yeah i'll take that. I, I like it i actually really i actually really really like that pick i'm more shocked at the fact that i didn't realize he was the new magnum that's i'm more shocked by that <laughs> yeah. um but uh, uh i i really like him i actually think that's a fantastic pick dude okay uh adam why don't we jump to you and then we'll end on Corey for that one 
Um, my guy's a little bit bigger of a name. He's started to make himself um, a somewhat name in some action stuff recently. Particularly, he was also in Pacific Rim with my uh, Idris Elba as a pwn. I like him. You know, if he's he's gonna have like that short military cut. You know, he I, I probably most know him in slightly longer hair uh, when he was playing a, a motorcycle guy in Sons of Anarchy as Jax. He's a good actor. I would I still want him to kind of be downplayed on the first half, kind of similar to Hicks was, but maybe he is too big of a star for that. But I like him, and I think he would be the right look that I want. I went with Charlie Hunnam as my Hicks. You know what, Adam? I did look at Charlie Hunnam as well. Okay. I did look okay. at him, so I can't fault you for that. Yeah, I I think he's I think he's a little too beefy. Like he's a little too like mm. big of a dude, like physically, uh, to be. To, to, but, but but he's not that huge. I, but I'm thinking like 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 Pacific Rim. But I think that like you know he doesn't okay. he could cut it back a little bit and not you know eat as much protein. And I think he could do it. You know, <laughs> I I don't love it. I don't okay. love it as much as mine. But I don't hate it either. Okay. All right. Fair. All right. I'll I'll take it. <laughs> All right. Corey? <laughs> All right. So my Hicks has a very, very interesting uh, career. Uh, he, <laughs> he, he's gone from, from Downton Abbey to uh, playing the Beast and Beauty and the Beast. But the 2004 movie The Guest is where I kind of pulled him from. And I am going to go with Dan Stevens as my Hicks. And specifically because of the movie The Guest. Okay. I thought you were going to go with uh, uh, Luke Evans, uh, who I think was Gaston. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I-, I like Dan Stevens. Um He's a good actor. Have, have either of you guys have either of you guys seen The Guest at all? Nope. I have not. Um I but highly rec- but the guy plays Legion, right? Yeah, he, yes, yes, yes. He's he's Legion. Um, but I do highly recommend the guest as like this action thriller movie. I think you both will be surprised by it. And uh, Adam, your boy uh, Lance Reddick is in it as well. Um, but it's okay. it's a very interesting, weird uh, thriller slash action slash um, horror movie. It's really interesting. But Dan Stevens in that movie is pretty fucking awesome. I'm not going to shit on him. I, I, he's a good actor, so I'm, I'm allowing it. Nice. Okay. I'll take it. I'll take that. All right. We're down. We're finally there. <laughs> the, the finally big one. made it. <laughs> All right. Our Ripley. Uh, this is what our, our whole movie uh, hinges on. Yes. Um, mm-hmm. I'm I'm going to get mine out of the way, just, okay. just, just in case I get ripped on. I surprisingly found this person pretty quickly and appreciated that uh, I, she's got a, a good look. Um, she's a good actress, and she's doing lots of different things. She's actually a pretty funny actress, um, but she's done serious stuff, so I I know uh, I know she could do it. Um, she was on Community. She was in the Lego Movie, uh, and uh, most recently, I think she, what she's best known for is being on the TV show Glow. Uh, I went with Allison Brie. Mm. <laughs> I like Allison Brie. I don't know if I like her as my Ripley. Okay. I can't give you the uh, old Adam endorsement on that one. I'm sorry, John. (laughs) All right, fine. Uh, Corey, do you have thoughts on Alison Brie? I'll let you know when I get there. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, God. If you both chose Alison Brie, shit. Uh, All right, I'll go in between. I'll let Corey be the last stance on this one. I had a tough time with Ripley, personally. Uh, I really wasn't sure exactly. And then once I saw this actress... I just, I'm like, you know what? I think she's the right call. She's got the right kind of body look. 
that I want for her. She's got the overall, just the right look for it. She's gorgeous. She is a strong actress. She's done tons of action stuff. My only fear is maybe she doesn't have some of the um, vulnerability mm-hmm. that Sigourney, Sigourney Weaver showed. I'm sure this person could. I, I think she's got some of that in there. I want to see it. But, I mean, she's this this woman, like, every movie she's in makes buku fucking bucks. Whether it's already working with James Cameron, she, so she knows her shit. Whether it's Avatar, Star Trek, Gardens of the Galaxy, I think she's a great call as my new Ripley. I want Zoe Saldana. Mm-hmm. She's a good call. Yeah. She's, she's a good call. She was in my, you know, my looking at as well. Yeah. She's, she's awesome. No, I can't, okay. I cannot argue with that one whatsoever. She has, she has the range. She has the physicality mm-hmm. to, to pull it off. Yeah. And, uh, I don't, I don't think that would be a bad movie whatsoever with her. Yep. I, okay. I agree. All right, Corey, take us home. Yes, sir. So my, my wife, Myra threw this one out at me, uh, and I sat with it. It was my pick for like a day or two because it is really good and I do love it. But ultimately, I didn't land on it. My wife suggested Rosaria Dawson, and I was like, "That's she. I, I think she can do it. I think she can pull it off. She would have been perfect yeah, I, I, 10, 15 years ago. Perfect. And that's, that, was, that was my little bit of leaning. That was my... That was what sort of just knocked it in that direction was I was like, she's just a, just a hair too old. <laughs> just a little bit. You know what's funny? Zoe Saldana is a year older. That's hilarious. <laughs> That, that's a whole nother conversation that we can have about perception and, and reality. <laughs> yeah. Um, oh, my God. But ultimately, ultimately, I'm with John. Allison Brie was my final wow. was my final pick um, because while I think that Rosaria Dawson can pull off the badass stuff, it's really the emotional hook that really needs to bring you in. And I've seen Allison Brie do like deliver that performance and i have not seen yet rosaria dawson deliver the performance the 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 like i mean ripley is like 90 percent vulnerable she is an open wound she mm-hmm. is she is trauma she is just just vulnerable to the, the extreme and that's what makes her her 180 degree turn at the end to go you know rescue newt like that's what makes it a big deal because she's like Fuck it! Like I'm, I'm, I'm gonna do this. She's, she's supposed to be a normal person that becomes an action hero, and I just, I see Allison Brie being able to lean into that vulnerability earlier, and then knowing with like Glow that she can actually do some physical stuff. I was like, there, there you go. There's the proof that she can pull off the the action is too. But man, I needed, I need that vulnerability in those eyes, and and Allison Brie brings. That whereas I think Rosaria Dawson is tough, she's awesome, she kicks ass, she's beautiful, she's an amazing actress, but she doesn't have those vulnerable eyes like Allison Brie does. And you know, if you haven't seen Glow, Glow is the Glow is what made me put her there. She's fantastic in that show, and that might be my problem. I I haven't seen Glow at all. Yeah, yeah, it's it's really good, dude. You and actually, I haven't seen Community at all. (laughs) Have you seen Mad Men? She was in Mad Men. I haven't seen Batman <laughs> <None>. at all, <laughs> but but for some reason I didn't like that. Yeah, pick. yeah, no, that, that's fine because like, I mean, dude, Zoe Saldana, fantastic choice. Uh, Rosario Dawson, fantastic choice. Allison Brie, fantastic choice. I think I think all three of them would. It would be a different movie with every yeah. single one of them, mm-hmm. but I think none of them would be a bad choice. That's the thing. Yeah, yeah. 
All right. So before we kind of sign off, Corey, you you wanted to mention some uh, stuff about other things that are going on in the network this week. Yeah. Um. If you guys want to tune in, uh, this this week we're kind of a lot. A lot of us are doing uh, alien centric shows. So uh, I know that we are doing on an, an ongoing comic book discussion podcast. Tess and I are going to be reviewing uh, Aliens Defiance Trade One Volume One for that comic series. The boys over at Talking Back, Tim and Dean, are also going to be reviewing Aliens Dead Orbit. That's uh, another comic mini series. Uh, uh, thing that Dark Horse has put out. So make sure you check out both of those podcasts this week. And if you get a chance, uh, we've had it up all month, but go over to Podcasting After Dark and listen to our Jeanette Goldstein interview. It will only be free on the free feeds this week. And by free feeds, I mean Apple Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podbean, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, all those. Uh, our, our interview series naturally lives on the Patreon uh, page but we release one a month and this month for free we have the Jeanette Goldstein interview and it's amazing guys like I I don't talk I don't ever barely talk in it Zach's the one that's mostly conducting it so I'm not tooting my own horn it's what she says is amazing as an Aliens fan I was just awestruck just being able to talk to her I barely talked because I couldn't because I was like oh my god this is amazing um, but the stories that she tells are are awesome and she talks about uh, here. like I said she talks about being cast in Aliens she talks about uh, her experience with uh, Lance Hendrickson and Bill Paxton on Near Dark she also talks about her experience on uh, Terminator 2 as the stepmom and she barely she didn't really mention uh, Titanic that much but it's a great interview and she's super sweet she's super nice and she's super like like very very sweet lady so give a listen and and, hey if you're in LA or Atlanta go uh, check out Jeanette's bras I mean not if you're just a guy don't just walk in there you know (laughs) don't be that guy don't be that guy guy. (laughs) but if you know if you have a reason to please check out Jeanette's bras All right, and that was our recasting of Aliens. Please join us next time for another super fun episode. Adam and John are joined by Trivial Warfare host Ben Young to do our top 10 favorite New Jack Swing songs. If you have any questions or comments, you can reach us at blastfromourpast at gmail.com. And if you want to suggest a movie or TV show from your childhood or to be a guest on the podcast, go over to patreon.com backslash blastpastcast and pick a tier that works for you. To find us on social media, search for at blastpastcast. So until next time, I'm John. And I'm Adam. And thanks for joining us. See you next time. Hey, this is Brent. And I'm Eric. And we are part of the Friday Five Podcast. Yes, sir. We cover everything from the 80s to today. We absolutely do. You can find us every other Friday on any of your favorite podcasting platforms. Like iTunes? Like Stitcher. Oh, man. Maybe a little Spotify. Hey, and also check us out on Instagram. Absolutely. So come hang out. I think you'll have a lot of fun, and we will see you there. Yeah, bring your Proton Pack and your Ecto Cooler. And maybe some McNugget Buddies.